Jarvis, drop my needle. Hello, this is the hardcore legend Mick Foley, and if you are interested in listening to idiots, you came to the right place. Have a nice day. Woo! That's an attention getter. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. What we're dealing with here is a complete lack of respect for the law. Oh my God, he's an idiot. You know, of course, that you're out of your jurisdiction. Personally, I think you're an idiot. But that's the evidence in the car. But I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. Always like to keep my audience riveted. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, friends and fiends, and welcome to Free Range ADC, the podcast about everything, but mostly just the stuff we like. Sometimes a movie grabs hold of you the first time you see it. Your keister firmly planted in a chair of questionable cleanliness on one shoe hopelessly stuck in a puddle of semi-solid spilled soda while also hoping that thing you felt on your leg was a leftover popcorn box and not a rat the size of a small dog. Other times, you don't catch movies until you're in the comfort of your own home sitting on a chair of questionable cleanliness but with much more affordable snacks. We're dialing the Wayback Machine back to the halcyon days of 2004 when the Red Sox were winning a World Series, cell phones still had buttons, and we had no idea the absolute shit show we'd be in for in a few short years. That's right, it's the year in movies 2004 for this episode 140. I am your Uncle Todd and with me as always is the man who once applied for a job as a movie usher solely to get the flashlight. He has been my partner in IDC for over two decades and has busted up more necking sessions than the average camp counselor. I give you the man they call Tim. Greetings and salutations, my friend. How are you? You know, been better, been worse. <laughs> what you gonna do? The dumpster's still burning? Oh, <laughs> the dumpster's still burning bright, baby. Let me tell you, it's like an eternal flame at this point. <laughs> Gosh. It's kind of a kind of a purplish hue, <laughs> somewhere between like propane and something out of Big Trouble in Little China. That's you know, I, oh, I, any Lord. day Egg Shen is going to come by and pay his respects. That's Ladies how it's, and gentlemen, how it's Uncle going. Todd's property is now basically Mordor in the middle of uh, you know <laughs> kind of, the, the Greater Saco area. So. You know, it kind of is actually. It's cozy. It's cozy. Uh, and what what's really amazing is our property value has gone up. I don't know how that works, but you know, I need money. Whatever. Hey. We'll take it. And how are you doing, sir? Uh, I'm doing splendidly. Splendidly. Uh, I know. Uh, And and after our last episode, I I just want everyone to know that uh, the man they call Tim is starting this episode out sober as a judge. Well, actually, that might not be be the best way to go. I'm sure there are some judges out there who are getting loaded before going into court. I was going to say. But no, he he is stone cold sober. Uh, well, yes. actually, not that's not a good one either, because I don't know if Stone Cold was ever sober. No. So uh, anyway, he ain't had nothing to drink yet. I, I will let you. I will keep you apprised of the I'm situation. I'm on the the two brothers, so <laughs> you might want to you might want to correct that, sir. Um, uh, the two brothers bourbon. Uh, uh, yes. Yes, Anyways, the two brothers bourbon. So Let's we are go. going to uh, we are going to get into a little something here that we like to do every so often. We like to take a year <laughs> Wait, uh, every so often. I know every so often. Every we have so to talk often. about this. Like we literally planned. <laughs> we, okay, so when we laid out our next, you know, five show ideas. I know being, people are shocked that we actually plan anything. We being do the the prepared individuals we are. Uh, we ended up shocking ourselves uh, yesterday when I went to actually create the show outline and saw that the last time we did this was almost to the day a year ago, August 29th, twenty twenty two. 
uh, was when we did our last year in movies episode one twelve on uh, night on the year in movies nineteen ninety nine, mm-hmm. and here we are August thirtieth twenty twenty three doing our uh, this this is our next uh, iteration of this theme uh, in the year of two thousand four, um, but yeah one year to the day we didn't even mean to plan it that way idiots brand loyal as always and sometimes it's just it just works out well serendipity baby serendipity damn we're good we are not really we are. good but yeah so we what we like to do is we have to take uh, pick out a year and then just kind of go over some of the the movies that are that happened in that year pick out our favorites uh, this of course happened when we when we realized that what was it it was star wars and uh, Smoking the Bandit were both released in the same yes. year, and that kind of fascinated me. And to the mm-hmm. point where I was like, I started looking through all this stuff in one year. I'm like, it is so odd to see what it happens to be all hanging in the zeitgeist at one time. Mm-hmm. And so we've done this a few times, and and this time we're going to do it with uh, the year of our Lord, 2004, uh, which, uh, as usual, just all over the map, just all over the map with movies. Well, and and crazy too, like how many. Uh, I don't want to say popular movies, but movies whose names I recognize and who I I know kind of made an impact that year. I mean, there's a lot like like doing this exercise. I I mean, even though 99 was a was a loaded year as we went through this. Oh, four is equally as loaded, if not maybe more. I mean, it it made it really hard to kind of you know, whittle the uh, list down to, you know, five top movies, uh, two specials and three surprises uh, and a partridge yeah. in a pear tree. I honestly, it actually wasn't all that hard for me. Um, ah, mostly okay. because I think for whatever reason, I, I have my favorites out of this year and then there's just a bunch that I just never saw. Mm-hmm. Even some of the ones that are supposed to be like, you know, uh, very much ballyhooed, uh, movies that I just mm-hmm. didn't see. And then those that I had seen that I kind of want to talk about, but I wasn't that passionate about, you picked. So I was able to, yeah. to really work this list very... It's, it, I always love it when I get to choose second because then I'm like, oh, Tim's already got this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. All right, sweet. So that means I can still jabber about those, and then I still have my own. <laughs> get your cake and eat it too. And, well, I mean, again, and what the hell is the point of having cake if you don't get to eat it? I know. Just I, I really don't understand you. that one. It just teases you. It's, yeah, it's very much of a, anyways, we'll, sickness, really. it is, it's, it's, uh, it's terrible. Anyways, uh, but before we get into the topic at hand, we have a little something called the Week in Geek where, well, normally uh, the man they call Tim goes and scours the interwebs for news and notes and bits of geekery that, that would find our, uh, be of interest to our listeners. Uh, but this time we go a little bit different, but I'll let uh, Tim explain that one here. Week in What do we got in this episode? Uh, Our Week in Geek, my friend, uh, will kick off uh, with last Wednesday's debut of Ahsoka. I was going to say seasons, sorry. Ahsoka episodes one and two. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. And uh, man, I got to tell you from... so, so really just want to take some hot takes uh, from both of us on this. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll jump right in right away. I want to get your reaction. I really liked the the title scroll scroll at, at the beginning of episode I was one. Say, scrolls are a t- totally different thing, sir. Different yeah, series. Crawl, crawl t- title crawl, crawl that, there that go, happens yeah. at the beginning. Um, both in terms of the red lettering, the music, mm. the way it was done. Mm-hmm. There is like... 
that was the first piece of Star Wars content I've watched where it's like they're setting a clear tone of something bad is coming. <laughs> and and yeah. it's it's very rare that you go into a Star Wars show or movie where they set that kind of tone that way. There's normally yeah. just kind of a, you know, dun, 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 you know, they play the music and yeah. you're all kind of, oh, it's Star Wars. This was like, you know, the Empire's fallen. There's the New Republic. Thrawn is out there. They're looking for him, and it, it's just something is afoot. It had a very almost like predator feel to me, and in, in in a way, uh, well, when you know I heard what it music. was for me, it's it's Jaws, mm. and Thrawn is the shark. Yes, and that's why I I, I really kind of hope that we don't see. I hope we don't see Thrawn because it worked out very well yeah. for Jaws. You only got little bits of it, and you never really saw the shark the shark proper until yeah. later on. It it made that much more of a threat and menacing. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I mean, you know, they might as well have just over. But um, I mean, it would have been about the same. Yeah. You know. Oh, no. Yeah. Was, that was great. That was or, an or, excellent or felt, point. Yeah. It felt like Blade Runner or or something from like an early 80s, like sci fi movie. It, it had just a really gritty feel to it. What's when, ominous? When yeah. Ominous. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'll, already digging that. Um you know, I, I, I really enjoyed the first two. I, I thought they did a great job of, you know, kind of re in, in a way it's reintroducing, you know, all the, all the rebels characters, mm. um, in their own way and, you know, kind of setting the tone for what's currently going on and, you know, diving right into, um, really, you know, kind of revealing, um, I don't know if I call it groundbreaking, but I mean, it is certainly different, you know, that, that, uh, you know, kind of the big thing, uh, spoilers here that gets revealed is, um, they, there is a star map that basically shows that there is another galaxy out there. And, and that is different for star Wars. Star Wars has always been in one galaxy. Mm. And, uh, and this opens up a number of possibilities, um, because not only is it about getting thrown back, but it's also about, you know, understanding too. Um, you know what? What uh, it, it seems like there have been beings from that other galaxy that have arrived at this one and left things behind in it. Um, so, meaning that they they probably have force abilities as well. I'm wondering if this is where they're going to somehow explain um, Thrawn. You know, coming back if he has the the, the Solomary, um lizards that have the the force uh, negating ability. It now provides a reason of I've been in this other place and they have them and this mm. galaxy doesn't. Um, it, it really is a great, you know, kind of a storytelling mechanism to kind of bring some things in from the EU books that might be a little difficult to explain um, or, or just, I mean, you know, Salamary could have just existed on a planet somewhere. I mean, it's not far fetched in that galaxy for that to have been the case, but um, the fact that it's from this other place, it also opens the door for whatever, you know, if, if the Grisk or the Yuzong Vong end up, you know, wanting to invade, you now have the argument that maybe they've kind of conquered this galaxy and now they're looking at this other one to come conquer. So, so there's a lot of, lot of interesting possibilities from it, but right now it's just focused on, on, on the, uh, the quest for Thrawn and um, really liked how they introduced uh, Sabine. Um, I thought having yeah. that sort of punk rock kind of, you know, and like, like music playing while she's, you know, kind of, you know, sloughing off on, on, on the big ceremony, I thought was fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, very unlike Star Wars to have yes. something like that in it, which felt right for her. Um, 
And I really do feel like this is going to end up, um, I, I know we've done our real or jabroni and, and I think I, I got to go back and look, but I think I went this way. I, I, I think this is, this is going to be a story that's going to be about Sabine coming into her own and Ahsoka is going to shepherd her through that. And, and maybe by the end of it, you know, Ahsoka will have, you know, kind of met her end, mm-hmm. but, but it definitely seems like Sabine is that Luke character and she's kind of finding her way right now. And so, uh, you know, the de- definitely, you know, kind of getting her on, on the path in these first two with Ahsoka, you know, guiding her or trying to guide her. Um, and then, uh, absolutely love Balin scroll scroll, um, and, uh, uh, Hati or, or Sati, I forget her name. Yeah, um, I can't his, remember his apprentice. I mean, very menacing, not getting into, you know, really this idea of like Jedi mercenaries almost is kind of a really interesting concept. Yeah. There's um, menace, but there's also this distance. Cause when, yeah. when the, uh, when the, I forget what her name is. Um, the woman that Ahsoka took prisoner. Oh, uh, Lady Morgan. Yeah. That the, she's hired them obviously. And, and the, you know, the, those two have a certain menace to them, but at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, they're very much like, okay, that's what you want to do. Yep. You sure. That's a good idea. All right, whatever. You're, 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 you're writing the checks. Right. Oh, like, and it, it does kind of feed into that very much a mercenary thing, which is very mm-hmm. different. You know, it, it's, it's walking that line between kind of the, the, it, 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 to me, it's a, it's a new shading of villain between some of this, the archetypes that we've seen. I'm, I'm, I am excited for that because they, they yep. do hold a certain weight on screen. Yeah. Um, and almost instantly. And yep. you just buy it. At least I did. Absolutely. Um, I enjoyed as well the um, – let me just uh, – just pulling up the real in Jabroni here for a minute because I had the two names. Um, where is it? Yeah, Balin – oh, Balin Skull and Shin Hati. That's who it was. Balin okay. Skull and Shin Hati. Well, you were right. It was Skull and, and Hati. Yeah, I, I got it screwed up. I think I said Saudi or something like that. I don't know. Oh, Anyways. Yeah, but um, – but uh, the the other thing I liked was uh, connecting um, Morgan Elsbeth to um, the night uh, the night witches of Dathomir. Yeah, um, that was a great you know connection there. So she's got a little of that in her, um, and and so gives her some some depth and there's some implication around that. So overall, just uh, first two episodes, great job table setting for what's to come. Um, I know three came out. We're recording uh, Wednesday night, August 30th. Um, I know the uh, episode three came out last night. I'm, I'm too used to them coming out on Wednesday and not Tuesday. Yeah, that, um, that messed me up. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to episode three. But just overall, just a great job of, of just kind of resetting the context of Rebels and, uh, and um, really... Um, you know, again, playing on what we've seen in Mando and stuff with, you know, the New Republic is not as solid as they might think, you know, mm-hmm. with with there being some Imperial um, sympathizers and and uh, and people doing, you know, shady deals and, and that sort of thing. So it's it's really interesting. And, and I, I, I just like what they've done. The only only little thing I have to to uh, complain about, if you want to call it, that is. I'm still not entirely clear how they know that Thrawn's in another galaxy because it almost implies that there's been some sort of communication back and they really haven't explained that yet, but maybe Mm. that's to come in these next couple episodes as we end up finding out how they knew he ended up somewhere. Um, Because how would you know to go look for the map? You know what I mean? Like that, that, that's the thing. Unless, unless Elizabeth knows 
something about the Purgles and where the Purgles can go. Like she had some foreknowledge. That's the only thing I can think of. But otherwise, I'm I'm curious about how they have this knowledge. So, um, anyways, th- th- those those are my hot takes on it. How about you, sir? What what what's your thoughts? I I love it. And to, and to go before I forget, I love the bit on Corellia where they go and they you know they they check out the you know the shipyard or the portion of shipyard or or whatever business that you know lady morgan there was running and that whole idea of like you start in a very economical way they kind of give you what the reality of something like this would be that you know are all the the the, are so you replaced all the employees of course not can't replace Mm -hmm. everybody you know and they're here for a paycheck wink wink nudge nudge and it it kind of lends to what you were saying about how yeah the the new republic is is not stable mm-hmm. how could it be how can you how can you replace a gigantic apparatus like the empire and just wholesale take everyone who was ever in power in any position out and instantly replace them you mm-hmm. can't mm-hmm. you know and that was what was interesting in in uh, in andor about this idea of the rehabilitation program mm. you know and how are you going to go about this and how messy is it and how does it work? Um, and that idea of the imperial sympathizers—I thought that was fantastic, and and adds so much. Not so much, but I mean, it adds depth to this, and kind of gives you like, oh wow, this is kind of a rational universe. In this universe of space magic, there's still like, yeah, and somebody got to take out the trash, <laughs> and, and somebody got to somebody's got to build the ship. Someone's got to do this. It's not all just like jedis and laser swords. And some irony, right? Because mm. what is an what is an imperial sympathizer in a new republic context? They're a rebel. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So so now you're seeing now you're seeing it flipped on its head, where it's like mm-hmm. the re- the rebels are now the you know kind of the the folks who want to get the empire restored again, and they're doing the same kind of tactics that the rebels did. So yep, it's now they're they're going to start experiencing some of the same pain points that um that really led to 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 them being able to upend the empire which i think is a just just a real you know real poetic sort of sort of point to make there so yeah um but yeah yeah i i i i think that's you know and and and, you know we talked about the scale of the galaxy and just and and you have to kind of suspend a little bit of it for you know suspend some of that logic and, and disbelief you know, for this a little bit around that, because it, it, it is like just such an impossible and overwhelming thing to think, how could you put any sort of structure in place to rule a galaxy? You know what I mean? Like, it's mm. just so big. You're not going to be able to keep everything in order. There's always going to be cracks and and gaps where people can kind of operate outside of the the law and outside of, you know, the, the governmental structure and stuff like that. So, um, but that's, that's what kind of fascinates me about it a little bit too, is, is just, you know, seeing, seeing the rogue players in there who, who, who do operate, you know, that's why I get attached to things like Mando and the bounty hunters and the smugglers. Cause I think that's always kind of an interesting thing to, you know, kind of look into and read about and, and imagine what could be. And so, yeah. And, and one of the interesting <laughs> things about storytelling is fill, giving, giving a reader or a viewer enough information that they feel somewhat well informed about the world that you're building, but also mm-hmm. balancing that with leaving enough room so that they they can go into those little 
that minutiae and wonder and kind of maybe build their own headcanon, like, you know, as Jimmy Dice would say, and, and, and figure some of these things out. And then it leaves time later on that someone else can fill that in. But as we've seen with some of the Star Wars, you know, extended universe or whatever they want to call it now, you know, the books, I think some of that has been informed by fan theories and, and some of that stuff. And, and, and there is a, there's a bit of participation in there to me, like, uh, not to go too far off the rails here, but I, I remember, uh, back in the day I, I worked, uh, I worked at an audiobook studio and I was mm. not a, I didn't read the books. I was the producer. So I was a recording, uh, you know, engineer, whatever. And so I had to sit and listen to some of these books. And one of the books that I had to listen to and proof and edit was, uh, a, a fantasy book. Mm. And this person was all about the world building and they went into such minute detail about everything mm-hmm. that it was like all the juice was wrung out of it. I'm like, this entire world is so dry. Mm. I have so much information and maybe that's just a me thing because I know there's po- folks out there who love them some world building and they, they, they love nothing more than like 483 pages of world building before you even start in on the story. Like that's great for them. To me, it just sucks all the wind, all the air out of the room. And I'm like, mm-hmm. But when you start, but what we're talking about here is a lot of like the, the, the nooks and crannies of the story that they're not exactly painting in, yeah. in the, in the, you know, for years now we're starting to fill this in, but mm-hmm. even within that, there's more nooks and crannies within that, that you, you, you leave and it makes it more interesting. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, it does. I also thought the, the introduction of Sabine was perfect. I mm-hmm. can't imagine how that would be any better. Um, I, I do like how some of the how it, it everyone didn't get that in, introduction. I liked how mm-hmm. you know pretty much um, Hera was just like business as usual. Mm-hmm. It wasn't some big entry like they they were choosy about who got a kind of a big grand entrance. And I I think Sabine definitely deserves that. She's obviously going to be a very important part of this story. Mm-hmm. Um, did you notice the two ships that were trying to intercept her? Um, what were those? Those, those are those are the much uh, bandied about E-wing uh, starfighters, which we oh. have never seen. And we, I think it exists in the EU, but it doesn't. It's never been. It's never made its way into the movies. So, um, so those the, those are E-wings that we saw there, and that was that was pretty cool. That Interesting was pretty cool to, to finally see them realized, you know, kind of in live action. So, well, I'm very excited for you. That didn't really mean much to me. I'm like, those are cool and. Well, that, they, they kind of look like Vipers a little bit from BSG. You know, I a mean, they have, they, yeah. they, they have kind of that, that Viper quality to them. Um, I did want to ask, were you at all bothered or or maybe I'm this is because I'm still haven't gotten all the way through Rebels. But given where Rebels takes place and now is is Sabine still not still? Does she seem a little young for the t- for, for the time period? Like, shouldn't she be a little older? No, because I mean, Sabine was pretty young originally. Okay. And I feel like. Um, cause hasn't it been like 20 years? No. Cause no, rebels it, was what? Just, I, I don't know what the, we, I, we would have to actually look up the exact, okay. you know, after battle of Endor or whatever time between the two. I don't, I don't know what the exact measure is, but it's not that long. Cause I mean, you got to figure like, so it hasn't been that long that Thrawn has been gone. And that Ezra's been gone. Okay. 
I don't, if I think, it, I mean, you're talking, I think you're talking somewhere between five and 10 years. Maybe let, maybe, maybe closer to like a midpoint between those, All like right. five to eight years. So I it's think. saying, yeah, it's saying that Rebels took place year, so five BBY to one BBY, with BBY being before Battle of Yavin. So it's a four year period that the series takes place. Oh, that's so right. So Battle of Yavin, that's right. It would happen before the first, before New Hope. Yeah. And then. And so then you just need to know, because this is obviously not that long after Battle of Endor. Right, I'm trying right? to find on Wikipedia here. Where is it? But I, I, I think it's great. I, I love how, and I just I saw this pointed out today as I was kind of just roaming around the interwebs, how essentially that scene with Sabine when she after she cuts her hair short, she goes up to that memorial wall with all of the you know the rebels on it. That is recreating a scene from the finale series finale of of Rebels. Ah, okay. Nice. And I'm like, just freaking phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I love how I love how we got Chopper, but again, not like a huge entrance. And I love how Chopper has all of the attitude of mm. Chopper from the from Rebels. Um, I am so I'm I'm a little disappointed that we we didn't get you know Chopper didn't add to his body count. Um. <laughs> But I love the fact that we have like just this kind of nutty droid who literally has, has just like homicidal, like has mm-hmm. killed more Imperials than any other character in the Star Wars universe. Like I think in the thousands by this point. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. It's just great. Nobody really seems to seems to bat an eye like, oh, that's just Chopper. He loves to kill stormtroopers. You mean you like stun them or knock them out? No, just outright kill their ass. Mm-hmm. Oh, OK. Yeah. <laughs> Let me go stand over on that side of the room. <laughs> just to be sure um i love that um i love the interplay between ahsoka and the other characters like there is there's a certain there's a certain like level of knowledge and a certain degree of comfort yeah. but no one is 100 percent really comfortable with ahsoka yeah and i do love how there is that outsider element to her and they're keeping that um and then especially her interaction with Sabine. And I think that's going to be very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, Rosario and I forgive me, I can't remember the actor who plays Sabine. Um, they, they, those two just like really good chemistry. Um, Natasha Liu Bordizio. Yeah. Her, um, <laughs> Natasha. Um, yeah, I think they're, they're really good together. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just, Yes, uh, I'm. I'm very happy with the show so far. It's great, nice. absolutely great. Nice. Um, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, Ahsoka is off to a strong start, and we are bullish still. Uh, and then our our last. Uh, we're only doing two items for Week in Geek because uh, we figured the the first one was going to go a little long. Uh, and and this one doesn't come from anything on the web. Uh, well, I guess in a way it did come from something on the web, but uh, basically uh, Thursday, last Thursday evening, um, August 23rd, uh, I happened upon my usual haunt online for wrestling news, cagesideseats.com, uh, where I saw the very sad news that, and very abrupt news, that mm. uh, Bray Wyatt, uh, a.k.a. Wyndham Rotunda, uh, passed away from a heart attack uh, at the age of 36. 
Um, that was super shocking. Um, Fucking o- terrible, man. O- only because, uh, I shouldn't say only because, I mean, he, he leaves behind a wife and kids, so there, there's a lot more affected than just what he was doing in the wrestling industry. But there was talk of him uh, coming back, um, and apparently he had been dealing with a uh, life-threatening illness. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of information that was published out to the public on that front, which, you know, totally makes sense. That's his business. Um, but I guess what did end up getting communicated later that evening, um, from his family was, uh, that apparently he had had a bout of COVID and then, um, he was dealing with apparently some, some serious heart issues. And, uh, it seems like, um, you know, some, something happened where he ended up having a heart attack and and dying from it. So, uh, for those unfamiliar with the Bray Wyatt character, um, he debuted in WWE. Um, well, he started out as, um, uh, sorry, Husky Harris, wasn't it? Started out as Husky Harris when they were doing the Nexus, uh, Yeah, he started in Florida Championship Wrestling in 2009, which was their developmental territory. Uh, then the Nexus was um, kind of built off of, they, they were trying to do kind of a, almost like a talent show on Raw as a way of, you know, kind of bringing in and showcasing new talent. It went very, uh, just just went, went off the rails. And yet they they took uh, a lot of that class from that 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 show or, or what they were trying to do with that and turned in, uh, turned them into a faction called the Nexus. Um, he went back to FCW, uh, in 2011 through 2012, um, where, uh, he for- basically, you know, created the, the character of Bray Wyatt, um, and, uh, and then spent some time down in, in what became NXT, um, developing that he, he ended up getting paired up with Luke Harper, uh, and Eric Rowan to form the Wyatt family who very much had like a devil's rejects kind of vibe to it. Um, he mixed was, with like a Cape fear. Yeah. Well, yeah. With De Niro with, Cape fear. Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, and then they, they made their debut. Um, when did they debut on May 27th? I think of 20, I think it was 2012. They, they debuted, uh, on Monday night raw where, um, and, and it was a great debut. I mean, uh, we, we can try and link it in the show notes. I think it's still out on YouTube, but the Wyatt family debut is one, was one of the most visually sort of impressive, you know, debuts that, that, or, or just well put together debuts that WWE has done for a faction like that before. Um, I mean, Eric Rowan walking down wearing the lamb mask just, you know, with his like red beard sticking out from underneath is just one of the freakiest things you'll see. And Luke Harper, you know, plays deranged very well. And then you had Bray who who just has that sort of cult leader vibe to him, the way that mm. he talks. And and that was the thing about him. Like you, you could tell right away, like he, he was a great talker. Um just portrayed, you know, this sort of chaotic craziness in, in, in just such a perfect way, uh, earlier today. And, and this will be my end. Another thing for later, I, I was watching the, the, the much celebrated, uh, you know, six man tag between the shield and the Wyatt family at the 2014 elimination chamber pay-per-view, uh, which was just insane. I mean, you got to go back and watch. if you're a fan of wrestling, go back and watch that. It, it is top to bottom, just an amazing match. I mean, there's a point at the beginning of the match where the two teams are just standing in the ring, staring at each other, getting ready for, and, and Ambrose is ready to pop. He's just, he's just 
he's like a dog going back and forth trying to before he like dives and attacks them and then they and then just all hell breaks loose and they just start all brawling all i mean it's just it was just so well done the way they do it and the action throughout the match was just incredible so um wyatt family was a very special faction um and and it was it was uh lasted a couple years um he went back and forth between being a singles act doing the wyatt family again uh, plugging in folks like randy orton and daniel bryan became WWE champion in 2016 um, and then uh, paired up with Matt Hardy in 2017, 2018, uh, building off of his, um, his, uh, I forget what he called it, not crazy Matt, uh, his broken, broken broken Matt Hardy character uh, called the deleters of worlds, which was, which was great. (laughs) Um, It was really cool to see the two of them together because they, they both, uh, both him and Matt Hardy just were kind of trailblazing, you know, in, in the wrestling business, different match styles, different ways of doing things. And then we get to 2019, which is probably where you, where, where uncle Todd gets his exposure, I think to Bray Wyatt a bit, which is when the fiend debuts. Yeah. And that was incredible because you got this like horror mask which actually translated really well in the ring like i don't know what they did with the mask but when he would make facials the mask would move with those facials and it it didn't look like he was wearing a mask it looked like you know the face was alive it was it was very freaky and very strange yeah um but very well done and and that's the thing like i've always called wyatt basically like this generation's jake the snake roberts like he just mm very creative knew how to portray evil in in different dimensions um i think when the fiend came out he was doing the firefly funhouse as well which was this yeah. really creepy kind of children's show that he like he was trying to be like this children's host and you know kind of nestled in there was that passive aggressive you know kind of evil tone to what he was saying oh, yeah, there's was, there was a total undercurrent of like something yeah. is very it's like it's like peewee's playhouse Yes, but you can tell something's not quite right. You yeah, know? you can tell there's probably a body in the basement of the playhouse. Yes, yeah, you know there's yep. there's a there's a bag of lie in the kitchen mm-hmm. and a shovel mm-hmm. yeah. uh, with fresh dirt on it. Um, yeah, no, there was that. Yeah, those and those. Yeah, those were definitely interesting characters. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, yeah, so he had a great run um, as the Fiend became uh, the the WWE uh, Universal Champion. Um, had had a great run. I mean, one, one of the things that was interesting with the Fiend character is everyone who faced him. Um, and I don't know if this was a planned thing or, or what, but whether it was Daniel Bryan, Seth Rollins, anytime someone faced him, their character kind of never came out of that 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 match the same afterwards like like they like with mm. seth rollins i think he was still doing the architect character and then after he he fought the fiend then he started to slowly transform into the seth rollins character that we see today where where he underwent a change daniel bryant was this you know vanilla good guy who that who then turns into this you know evil environmentalist who is like you know like like throwing you know like looking down on everyone and throwing you know away his entire fan base that you know built up and loved him and stuff and so so it just it just had this really interesting impact across everyone um that he would face and then he faced goldberg uh uh i think it was in the uh what was it february of uh, I don't know what year it was. Shoot, twenty twenty maybe. I think it was just before uh, COVID hit, and and so he drops the title to to to, to Goldberg, but but remained the fiend, and then he kind of disappeared for a bit. Um, came back in twenty twenty two, um, with this Uncle Howdy sort of character, had a uh, had a great feud with L.A. Knight. 
um, which, uh, again, I, I think, uh, I'll, I'll try to uncle Todd shoot you that, that link, but, but LA Knight, uh, last, this past Friday, SmackDown was a tribute show in a way to Terry Funk and to Bray Wyatt. We also lost Terry Funk last week. Um, but LA Knight, holy crap. Does this guy not just do a great promo, but he basically does a tribute to the man that he faced or, or, or he, he was the last opponent for Bray Wyatt um, mm. because he had his health issue and then he never competed after that before his death. Does this amazing promo paying tribute to him, then downshifts into his his feud with The Miz right now and then closes that promo with a Bray Wyatt line of sorts in, in tribute to him, um, all while maintaining his character. I mean, that's not an easy thing to do, you know, no. especially when you're in his position where, you know, he, he's growing in prominence. And so uh, hats off to him. But yeah, just just Bray Wyatt, an amazing character. I've been babbling a lot. I'm sorry, Uncle Todd. Your, your thoughts on the character and, uh, and, and just what you remember from it. I mean, the thing is, uh, I just I don't know as nearly as much about Bray Wyatt. I've seen bits and pieces. I, I, I've 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 sat under the learning tree with uh, the man they call Tim here, uh, learning me up on who Bray Wyatt was. But it was obvious that this guy was incredibly creative mm-hmm. and was very different. Um, and I think one of the uh, I'll have to find it, but uh, the the interview that um, Triple H did with. I forget what it, who it was. It was someone. It was, it was some sports channel, and he talked about all of his health issues and all that. But then at one point they talked about Bray Wyatt, and I don't I, I don't remember if he was back with the company or not at that point because right I, he after was about to debut, he was about to re-debut. Okay, uh, in twenty twenty two. Yeah, yeah, because yep. they actually they actually fired Bray Wyatt mm-hmm. um, at one point, like which was crazy because he was a huge merch guy for them. Even even with the damage that the fiend had taken uh, to his character from you know some of the losses and some of the the things that was going on creative wise, still selling a ton of merch. Um, but one of the things that that Triple H Paul Levesque had mentioned is like you know how creative Bray Wyatt is, but also mm-hmm. the 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 other side of that is like you have to kind of filter because mm-hmm. he could he could be one of those guys who you know you say no nah, I really don't like that idea and then later that day he comes back with like twenty more ideas. And you're like, okay, well, wait a minute. We have to, you have to pick one. And he's like, no, no, I can do all of them. <laughs> you know? Right. And it's like, he's like, he's so incredibly creative. I think, I think he even might've said like one of the most creative people he's ever worked with. And that was obvious. And, yeah. and it's, it's, you know, obviously, I mean, it's a terrible, terrible loss, you know, for his family and his friends. I mean, that just yeah. goes without saying, I, I, <sighs> And I mean, it's not like we're that old, but man, 36, man, that's just that's way too early, yep. way too early. And it's, it's a damn shame, but it's a huge loss for this business. Yeah. Um, and for, for sports entertainment in general, just because of the, the, the amazing creativity of this guy and, and what could have been. And even if you didn't yeah. dig on, you know, kind of the, some of the more horror elements or the more menacing elements, like you got to admit, like, there's nobody else really doing some of that stuff. And yeah. and he came up with some ideas that, man, they were outside the box. Like, I, and some of those ideas, I don't even know if they were in viewing distance of the box. Like, I don't know if you could even throw a rock and hit the box mm-hmm. that he was outside of. And even uh, even one of, you know, one of the most crusty of crustaceans in the in the sports entertainment industry, Uncle Corny, uh, J- mm-hmm. Jim Cornette. 
basically it said like he never really thought too much about the guy hadn't watched a ton of his stuff before his comeback in 2022 but just because uh, i think there was a period of time corny wasn't watching a lot of wwe mm. but when he saw him just come in and he's like man you you're like you this guy can talk him into the building like yeah. he, he, don't, he don't need to even wrestle a match and he'll i mean because at, at one point i think there was like two or three smackdowns in a row where the main event was a bray wyatt promo yeah yeah and it was just him coming out and talking Mm-hmm. for like 10 minutes 12 minutes yeah and that was the main event of the show and ain't nobody walked away upset that's a hell of a thing to pull off yeah for someone who's coming back and ain't wrestled a match and at the time there it wasn't clear who he was really going to wrestle yeah so the man was amazing at this um and it's just it, it's just is a tragedy all the way around. Of course, more so for family and friends, like I said. But yeah. it's it's a tragedy to, to see that that type of creativity gone. Yeah, um, absolutely. And yeah, I mean that's the thing that I just I take away is, it, and and same sort of thing. Like I watch the guy do promos, and I'm like, holy crap, he mm-hmm. is spellbinding. Yeah, yeah, he you can't he, look away. No, you can't, not at all. And uh, and 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 it's crazy to think too. The the original Wyatt family was comprised of Eric Rowan, Luke Harper, and Bray Wyatt, and now two thirds of that crew is is has passed. Yeah. Um, Luke, you know, Luke, Luke Harper, aka Brody Lee, passed away uh, back in twenty twenty one, and 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 you know he he was honored in his own way by AEW and and WWE because uh, AEW was the last company he was at, but. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's 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 sad. It's unfortunate, and you know, it's not like I knew the guy, but uh, you know, like like we said, you 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 can you can respect and appreciate the talent, and 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 you summed it up best. I mean, and uh, th- that's what I grab. That's how I gravitated toward him as well was was the creativity, and the way that he would storytell through, you know, his body language through what he would say, um, the way he said it was just so unique and so unlike anything that you had seen on, on WWE TV, their, their debut was unlike anything you had ever seen on TV. When, mm-hmm. when, when you see him just kind of do his monologue, um, he sounds like a crazy man, but it's a crazy man where you lean in again, like Jake, the snake Roberts, you lean in and you want to listen a little bit more, even though, you know, something's a little off, you know? Um, and, uh, and so it, it it it's it's sad to see uh you know a passing of 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 one of the greats but uh but he you know he he did this for a short period of time but he made a major impact in that short period and so um you know we I don't have a bourbon poured but uh you know you raise the Pellegrino or whatever seltzer <laughs> you have to uh to the eater of worlds the fiend the man known as Bray Wyatt yes indeed sir. And that, my friends, is a truncated week in geek. A truncated. That's like f- almost 30 minutes. Yeah, nonetheless. nonetheless. <laughs> All, All right, right. The main event, sir. Indeed. We are on to the movies of 2004. Uh, so the way that we're going to work this, uh, as, as the man they called Tim had mentioned, we have our top five. We have a couple special mentions. We have some surprises. Um, so we're going to start off with our t- our special mentions because we can never limit anything to the confines of what we say we're going to. So we built this in um, so that we at least have a little room to breathe. So uh, we have two special mentions, uh, basically two movies that were really close calls, didn't quite make our top five. Uh, so what do you what do you got for uh, your special mentions here, sir? 
Uh, so my first one is uh, Ocean's 12, uh, ah, the yes. sequel to Ocean's 11. I, I am all in the bag for the Ocean's trilogy. Uh, mm-hmm. It is a fun, fun uh, heist sort of movie. Um, and Ocean's 12 did a, you know, I, I don't think it was really appreciated when it came out. Um, I, I think it was a little bit too different from what people were expecting, but the story they told and the way they told it was very, very well done. Um, the first time you watch it, if you've, if, uh, I mean, if you've never seen it, yeah. So the very first time you watch it, it, it does feel awkward. Like it doesn't feel like I felt Ocean's Eleven had a real good rhythm to it and, and it kind of had a logical rhythm to it. This one had some, some weirdness going on with it, but like once you kind of see and piece it all together, it kind of makes sense. You know, it's because it's playing with time a little mm-hmm. bit in, in how they're telling the story. And then they actually re basically rewind things to kind of show you like how they got to, to, to the point that they got to and, and yeah. kind of pulling the wool over, over this, this antagonist eyes and that sort of thing. And There's so, a little bit of uh, the usual suspects. Yeah. Yeah. In it where you go back and you're like, you have to get to the end and then go, Oh, right. It all makes sense now. Right. And so, um, so yeah, so just, just a, just a real enjoyable movie. love the soundtrack to it. It oh, has yeah. a very unique soundtrack and, um, all three of the movies have great soundtracks, but yes. you're right. This one is, this one is unique. Each one have its, has its own vibe, but this one is very, very French, very European yes. sort of feeling and very, in that, in that way, very sort of cool in a very different way, you know? Yeah. And, uh, let me look it up real quick with the, the other, uh, the, uh, the actor who is the antagonist in it real quick. Oh, um, Talur. I actually just, so last night, uh, we watched Ocean's 13. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And who, who plays Talur? What is his name? I don't name? know, but it's, uh, he was uh, a... Vincent Cassell. Vincent Cassell. Oh. Does so a good. phenomenal uh, has has that 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 dance sequence that he does mm-hmm. where he's basically uh, you know going and robbing the the museum. Um, I mean, just just a phenomenal antagonist in that movie and yeah. uh, the Night Fox. So, oh gosh, good stuff, good stuff. Yeah. So that 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 is my first special mention. You want me to do the second one, or do you want to do yours, and then we'll yeah. go back and forth. Um, I, well, first of all, I want a second. That, Ocean's Twelve was one of those ones where I'm like, "Good, you picked it, so I, I can, I have space." Um, my, uh, but my um, first special mention goes to the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, Um because man, this is a movie I did not catch when it first came out, hmm. um, and I'd seen it. I believe I saw it like when it, you know on rental shelves and stuff because that was still a thing in two thousand four. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, it, it, Wes Anderson kind of caught me late. Like I, I, it had been several movies that he had done before I finally watched one of his flicks, and then I'm like, oh, I get it. Mm-hmm. And I like how how very much handmade his movies feel. It's a very specific thing and it's a very specific vibe. And if you don't like it, I totally get it. Um, but dear God, can this man like get people? I mean, just look at the fracking cast here. I mean, you've got Bill Murray in the lead. You got mm. Owen Wilson, Kate Blanchett, Angelica Houston, Willem Dafoe, Jeff Goldblum, Michael Gambon. I mean, uh, and, and, and then you start getting into like the second tier and the, the, you know, the bit, the bit player and they're all wonderful. Um, Oh my gosh, it's just so good, mm-hmm. and uh, and I love how you know three quarters of the way through the movie it goes from kind of this weird quirky sort of thing to all of a sudden like now it's an action movie, 
where I'm like, wait a minute, what the what the hell just happened? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like now, all of a sudden, there's gunplay and all these things. I'm like, what? What? Wait a minute, I was not prepared for this. Yeah, it's just so it's so amazingly bizarre mm-hmm. that I just I love it. And I've I, I I watched it and then I was like, oh, I totally need to own this. And I, I have this on DVD um, and have watched it many times. And it's great. And there's no it's it's one of those movies where I'm like, it has to be when like there's no one around or I know I have just I have a, t- a television that no one is going to bother me because no one else wants to watch this with me. Yeah. My wife has no interest in this. My my daughter has no interest in this. It's just me. Even the cat doesn't care. So like <laughs> I, I have to watch this movie by myself. Um, nice. But a phenomenal, phenomenal flick. Uh, but again, very much an acquired taste. If you if you're like I don't like Wes Anderson movies, then just don't bother. Yeah, <laughs> go yeah. find something else. Yeah. Uh, my my second one is uh, oh so but before we move on from that um I I never seen it so I have no comment on it um uh it, alrighty it, then I, I remember I'm... seeing the trailer and it just seemed kind of like an odd movie um yeah but uh, but it it was one of those movies I always had an intention to watch um you know just when it came to video because it just I don't know it didn't seem to hit me in, in any particular way but I just never uh, got around to it so maybe I should I think I think you if nothing else you would get a good chuckle out out of the absurdity of it all yeah yeah all right all right uh my second flick was uh dawn of the dead uh this was a remake of the zombie classic from uh romero um what uh, george romero sorry about yeah. that uh directed by Zack snyder um this was uh, yes uh jumping back into kind of the it, in some ways it kind of resurrected the zombie genre a little bit this this predated what the the walking dead um but in some ways, I think inspired what was to come. Um, I meant to check when Twenty Eight Days Later had originally come out. Um, Two thousand two. Okay, so in some ways, I think it, it took from from Twenty Eight Days Later a little bit, mm-hmm. um, because in in this movie, um, the zombies are way more. Um, active and are much faster than the lumbering ones from, you know, prior George Romero movies. And so um, really what kind of sucked me into this one was originally the trailer. The trailer was really well done, um, did a great job of kind of highlighting the the horror of of what was about to happen. And that's kind of what I feel like for for zombie movies, that's kind of the thing that's always been um, what people kind of get drawn to. I think it's what kind of led to the walking dead, you know, rising to popularity for a number of years was we seem to have this fascination with the fall of society when, when something cataclysmic happens. And when you frame it in, in the context of a zombie horde that where essentially humans who die are basically coming back and then become, you know, the, the things that are pursuing other humans, it, it, it's very horrific and it can really introduce some very, uh, crazy human scenarios, which is what Walking Dead, I think where Walking Dead got a lot of its popularity from. Um, and so Dawn of the Dead plays on this somewhat where you start to see the beginning of the zombie uh, invasion where um, where uh, uh, Sarah Polly, who who plays the main, main female lead, um, her husband ends up you know, turning into a zombie after getting bit by a neighbor, uh, a neighbor child. Um, and, uh, and, and then what's interesting is that whole sequence that plays in the beginning where she flees the house from her husband, jumps in her car and goes, is just a, I mean, it's amazing, like 10 minute montage of just chaos. 
Um, it is also probably one of the best uses I've ever seen of the song "When the Man Comes Around" by Johnny Cash, uh, which is the which is hmm. the song that plays at the beginning of the movie when all of this chaos starts to happen. Um, and so, uh, yeah, and then you have Ving Rhames, who's in the movie as well. Really, Dawn of the Dead, where where it originally got its charm from, if you will, was was when Romero first did it. It's all about the survivors kind of congregating in a mall, and it it's almost like in a way. Um, kind of his statement on, on commercialism and, and, you know, kind of, um, how, how do you put it? Um, just the excesses that, that, that happened in the eighties a little bit. I think he, he kind of played off of those themes, um, through using the mall as this setting of this, their safe place, but ultimately doesn't, you know, end up being that. And so it was a really, it was a really fascinating film. I'm not someone who's a horror junkie or into zombie stuff, but it, it for some reason, the way Zack Snyder did this made it, you know, palatable to see. And he did a great job of not just, you know, playing upon the violence and gore and all that sort of stuff, but just the, the, the horror of some sort of, like if this were to really happen, you you could kind of almost see yourself placed as of as an observer in the middle of it all. Like, oh, this is really kind of freaky and crazy. And so, just did a really good job with that. And and then a, a lot of the characters were were really well done. So overall, it was just a, it was in some ways a surprise, but in in a lot of ways was was just a a favorite of mine from two thousand four. Very nice. And what is also, your two? Oh, well, sorry. before that, I just want to note that also coming out in two thousand four, Shaun of the Dead. Oh, that's right. Yes. yes. Which is, a, is kind of interesting that those two would happen to collide in the same year. Yeah. Um, and and I've, I've not seen either one of these movies. I think I've seen a couple clips from Shaun of the Dead. Um, but I, I find it interesting, as, as someone explained to me, that like it, the zombie apocalypse is happening, but everyone's just kind of too polite to talk about it. Yeah. Or they're just people just because they're just so busy in their lives, they don't notice, mm-hmm. you know, which I'm like, yeah. that's that's an interesting thought. Um, it is. It is. Uh, but my other, uh, my other kind of uh, extra pick here, or bonus pick, um, special mention would be Anchorman: The Legend of Ron Burgundy. <laughs> Man, oh my gosh! What a fun fracking flick this is. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I would say I'm probably fifty fifty on Will Ferrell movies because let's face it. 90% of the time he's just playing a giant man uh, uh, an overgrown man child. Mm-hmm. That's his that's his thing. Um but it works here and it works also because of the cast. You oh know, my gosh. I mean this is a loaded cast. Oh Holy crap. yeah. I mean Will Ferrell, Christina Applegate who is amazing in this flick. Mm-hmm. Paul Fracking Rudd, Steve Carroll, uh Dave uh oh my gosh, uh David Kochner. Mhm. Fred Willard, I mean, uh, Catherine Hahn, ladies yep. and gentlemen, Fred Armisen, Seth Rogen, um, Danny Trejo. Wow. And one of my best, one of my favorite things where he like, he ducks into the, into the phone booth or whatever, <laughs> or the bathroom comes out. And he's like, he cleans up good. <laughs> I mean, just so many great lines and quotable bits from this. And just the idea of like the seventies anchor man. And, you know, even the voiceover at the beginning of the suits so fine. They made Sinatra look like a hobo. You know, it's, just, <laughs> it's so bloody over the top yep. that like, how do you not love this? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, and it, again, it doesn't it doesn't hurt that it is so utterly quotable. And it's it's one of those movies that I don't know that they make. Um, or maybe I'm just missing them, but I just I don't I don't remember as many quotable movies 
mm-hmm. in the last like 10 years or so. Yeah. Again, maybe I've maybe I've missed them and I could probably go and, and point out my own the error of my own ways. But this movie is so highly quotable is just great is fan fracking tastic on all counts, What's especially the, the especially the anchor man, the anchor, the uh, the news team fight scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and Steve Carroll just like, you know, running around with a hand grenade and then afterwards like, wow, that really escalated quickly. And uh, you know, I killed a guy with a trident. <laughs> It's like, oh my gosh. Well, the names are great, like Ron Burgundy, yes. Rick Tamland, oh. Ryan Fantana, Champ Kind. Yeah. <laughs> this Veronica is Corningstone. Veronica Corningstone. I mean What was the name of the cologne that Paul oh, Rudd uses? Sex Panther. There we go. That was hysterical. It was like sixty percent of the time it works every time. That makes no sense. <laughs> it's got real bits of it's got real chunks of Panther in it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That was too funny. Yeah. No, that, that flick is just lovely. It is a delight. It is. It is. All right. Now we get into our top five proper. Sir, oh, yes. what have you got sitting in the number five spot? Uh, for number five is the Polar Express. Um, oh, I was yes. actually surprised to see this in 2004. I, for some reason, thought it came out maybe later than that. But um, but th- this has become a an all-time classic in our house for for the Christmas season. Um, e- even with our boys grown, it is it is a movie we we like to watch together as a family. It's just uh, just one of those magical movies, you know, that just kind of whisks you away to kind of a different place and and you you uh, you know just kind of have a different you know take on the on on the Christmas story and and the idea of the magic of Christmas and uh, uh, and you know as a parent too like when when our boys were little um, is when we first saw it and and I remember like like it, it it hit me a little emotionally at the end too like like just that idea you know especially at the end when when they when they talk about when when he talks about you know even over time how when his sister you know became when they both became adults his sister couldn't hear the bells anymore but he does you know and mm. that 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 idea of never letting that that part of your your yourself go as you get older um, and just thinking about my kids you know and that sort of thing was was just uh, uh, it's just such a well done movie well well done story um, and. and and uh, yeah, just an absolute joy to watch. So uh, I had to put this in my number five slot because uh, coming out of 04, this 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 is a classic in our house and and is uh, and and probably always will be. So I'm going to go with the Polar Express. How about you? Well, first of all, uh, Polar Express is is also kind of in our Christmas time rewatch cycle. Yep. And you know, my daughter kind of has always maintained that it's creepy. Um, <laughs> The the animation. Way. I, I I hear you. The animation is is at that point where it does start. If it's not in the uncanny valley, it definitely is on the downward slope into it. Yeah. It's it's trying to be that ultra realistic, and you notice they have not done a lot of this since. Yeah, yeah. I don't think anybody is. I think everyone learned from this that the only reason this movie is still around is because one Christmas movies tend to have. A little bit more leeway because they don't have to live the rest of the year Mm. um in your viewing rotation or anything like that um and also tom hanks Mm -hmm. because i mean how many people really detest tom hanks yeah you know um so i mean those two things i think keep it there because otherwise yeah the animation is is quite creepy um 
Well, the whole scene with with the hot chocolate is is the, the, that to me is the one that's the most creepy for me because I'm just looking at all the waiters and they just look like someone copy pasted the same guy over oh, and over yeah. and over again and just you know mirrored the the movements and stuff. It just it looks very robotic and very oh yeah, yeah just creepy. And, and as this the is right also term. I mean, and that's saying something considering <laughs> this is also a movie where the little kid gets tangled up in all these marionette and has all the mm-hmm. the broken dolls coming after him. The fact that the hot chocolate scene is creepier than that that says something um but yeah no it's it's a it's a good flick and it it does hold you know the message is there um and it that's again it's the message tom hanks Mm -hmm. and the fact that it's a christmas movie otherwise people would just be like yeah let's forget that ever happened yeah um but no a, a good pick sir a good solid pick thank you thank you all right number four uh, actually, I didn't do my number five yet, sir. Oh, jeez, I'm, I'm sorry. Give I was number just, five. I was poning onto your number five, and and unfortunately, I'm going to steal a bit of your thunder uh, with this one. That's number right. five for me is Kill Bill Volume Two. Oh, uh, just when you thought that there wasn't enough death and vengeance uh, and gunplay and swordplay in Kill Bill Volume One, uh, now we get to Kill Bill Volume Two, which to me, out of the two. It, it's weird. Like it, it's almost how some people consider like Godfather Part Two to be superior to to Godfather One, um, but you can't get there without the first one. I mm-hmm. I consider Kill Bill Volume Two to actually be superior, mm-hmm. um, mostly because the entire Hattori Hans, Hanzo scene uh, or the what is it called? the that that chapter is called like the Man from Okinawa. I think mm-hmm. that entire scene from the from the moment that um that uma thurman's character walks into the sushi bar until she then goes to see bill is one of the most masterful segments of a movie that i've ever seen from tarantino and that's Mm. saying something because a man knows how to write and he knows how to direct whether you whether you like his style or not quentin tarantino can direct the bloody spit out of a movie Mm -hmm. um and so so poignant and beautiful and just heartbreaking in a way um and in so many different ways um it's it, that i just love that and then also of course all of the all the flashbacks to to uh you know uma Thurman's training with um with what's his face oh gosh i can't remember oh, uh pime yes and and the five all, point palm exploding heart technique yes and then just a final <laughs> confrontation with bill um, you know, is just mm. amazing. All of it. And and really manages to create, even out of this total bastard of a guy, like at the end of the flick, you're kind of you kind of feel bad for this guy mm-hmm. in a weird way, even though he's getting his comeuppance and you've been rooting for that comeuppance. At the very last moment, you're like, ah. Mm-hmm. Ah, but then then you're like, but you know what? He deserves it, and and that's the way to go. Um no, it's a, it's a flipping phenomenal movie, and again, I, I love Kill Bill together as a as a cohesive one two punch. Just because there's something about a, just an unrepentant, just revenge tale, mm-hmm. not trying to, to to like gussy it up in any way. Like, nope, she done she got done wrong, and now everybody gonna die. Mm-hmm. I love it, love it, and I think Uma Thurman just put so much into this character and is such a badass in both these movies but especially in this movie i think in this movie especially the second chapter because there's a bit more emotional range yeah 
And, yeah. and there's, there's a lot more for her to kind of work with in this one. Uh, but no, just great flick. Great yeah. flick. Volume one feels like it's almost like the, the, I don't want to say the gore fest, but it's, it's kind of like the more violent it's the action the flick. Yeah. It's the action flick of the two. The, the, the first more one's fighting. the action flick and the second yep. one is the drama. Yeah. More, more fighting, more slaying, more killing. The second one is paced much differently and you get more backstory. You get, um, you know, you still get the fighting, but it's, it's not as much and it's, it's more purposeful. Yeah. Um, now of like, course like, it, volume one has that, has the battle with the crazy 88, which is, you know, that, yeah. that, and if, which is and, bat spit insane. It oh, is it absolutely is. bat spit insane. It is. And, and, and is, and, and pulls the old trick of like flashing into black and white to, to basically mm-hmm. disguise the blood yep. and to downplay it because otherwise, I mean, Oh, I, I can, bar- I can barely sit through that as it is. Yeah. Um, but then actually, when you think about the other aspects of that, yeah, there's some very brutal violence, but there's mm-hmm. also like the, the, um, the second part of that, with Oren Ishii, um, just the sword fight between the two of them. Mm-hmm. That is, again, it's another scene where you're like, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a Visually. beautiful visual mm-hmm. scene. Everything about it. And, and, but there's, and that's what I think is so interesting with these both of these flicks is, is just the juxtaposition of so much violence and also some weird kookiness, mm-hmm. but with extraordinary beauty in other areas yeah it's which i mean honestly is kind of where tarantino has come to as a filmmaker Mm -hmm. you know once you get past like even in pulp fiction there's some beautiful moments there you know some some very nice visual moments but then as he's gone on and you get like you know even the hateful eight django um uh what else am i thinking of i can't remember um, but I mean, some of his later flicks here mm. have been like some very beautiful, like scenic shots and, and just things that are like, wow, it's such a lush scenery and just a gorgeous scene. And then all of a sudden you're back into like, oh, dear God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that person just got beaten to death with a hammer. Um, and then you're on to another beautiful scene. You're like, oh, and it kind of makes you forget that. You're like, ah, you're you're really messing with me here man yeah, um, yeah. but no just it's such a great great movie and and so well done and yeah. and and so uniquely tarantino like, oh absolutely ain't nobody else making this movie it's it's very much like when you watch a scorsese movie ain't nobody else making a scorsese movie yeah yeah and and, and to that point i mean I, I i agree with everything you've said i mean the 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 attention to detail to the little things like like the the entire fight with with L in in Bud's trailer and mm. the way that you see the desperation in L who's trying to be the one who replaces her and yes. she can't quite close the deal and ends up you know totally blind at the end of it you know as, as she was you know trying to basically vanquish you know the uh uh, the black mamba and and ends up you know most likely uh, as as we saw probably dying at the hands of one <laughs> so more than um, likely uh the, the other you know detail that that i and i don't know why this stuck with me the way that it did but the attention to detail that tarantino has just stylistically to certain things the entire conversation that she has with esteban viejo oh yes just watching 
and 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 credit to I think his name is Michael Lewis, the actor who plays. No, no, him. it's a uh, Michael Park, I believe. Oh, my, Michael Park. I'm sorry, but credit to him too, the way he plays him. Like it's just the little things, the way he's sitting there holding his his cigarette. Oh, and she's sp- asking him, "Is like, where's Bill?" And he's like, "Where's Bill?" Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I just, no, I, I think I'm I'm think I'm getting. Am I getting? What's that? I'm trying to. F- where is Esteban? You know, you're right. It's Michael Parks. Oh, wait, is the Battle of the Crazy 88 in this movie? No, no, 88's in part one. This is part two. <sighs> okay, so they basically have the cast and crew for volume one and two listed for <laughs> under volume two. So I'm trying to find yeah. where Esteban is. But yes, so in, yeah. yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, disturbing we're... too, because he he is this this, you know, pimp character who, you know, treats the women very poorly but but just the the conversation that he has with her is just it was just stylistically so i don't know unique and and i just remember watching it like it 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 was just so cool to see you know and he's Mm -hmm. basically giving her this whole like spiel and then telling her where bill is and that sort of thing you know and and then of course the the whole back and forth that she has with bill is really well done um like you said, where, where, you know, he goes into great detail about the difference between like Batman and Superman, or I think, you know, the, the dichotomy yeah, with super, Superman yeah. and Clark Kent or something like that. So, mm-hmm. um, anyways, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, this was my number two. I mean, we'll just, I'll, you know, briefly touch on it, but, but yeah, th- this was a fantastic movie. I didn't see it in theaters. I ended up seeing it much later when it was just on TV, but, um, but when I did catch it, um, uh, yeah, I, I was I was really fascinated by it and and just the the style and the story behind it and yeah it it's it's a it's a good flick, it's a very good flick. Yeah, and and the fact that you you know you have my so it is Michael Parks who played right. Esteban, uh, and and he also plays Earl McGraw the yeah. the cop at the beginning, which I'm yep. I love how there's multiple characters because then also uh, where is he. Um, I'm going to butcher this and I apologize. I didn't prep to say this guy's name. Chiahui Lui. Mm-hmm. I'm, I apologize right now if anybody knows him or if he's, he's listening, uh, playing Johnny Mo and pa- and Pai Mei. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I guess he was credited as Gordon Liao. Leo. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm an idiot. Um, uh, it was Sonny Chiba as Hattori Hanzo. Yep. Oh, good God. Uh, just so all all around, just so amazing. Yeah. Great cast. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. And now what is your number four? Uh, my number four uh, is a, uh, you know, again, just another another uh, comfort viewing, just fun movie to watch. National Treasure with uh, good old Nick Cage. Um, yeah. Making uh, the Constitution and U.S. history fun and exciting in terms of a treasure hunt, and Make so him humble. Uh, he does. And uh, yeah, I I, I just uh, you know again, it, it's a movie I didn't see when it was out in theaters. I saw it after the fact, but when I you know when 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 I did see it and then got to rewatch it a few more times with my sons, it, I just really enjoy it. I mean, it's just it's such a fun fun story it it does um it takes the, the the whole treasure hunting sort of concept and you know adds a dimension of of action and fun and and history into it which which i thought was really really well done you know like like there there's there's real history they're drawing from um 
you know, it gets into some of the more conspiratorial, like, you know, sort of thoughts around, you know, the, uh, the Masons and all this sort of stuff, but it, it is a fun, fun flick to, to watch. And, uh, and the characters are, are fantastic. I mean, for being an action movie, it's never like a, you know, you're, you're concerned about any of the characters really losing their lives, even though they try to like portray some of that toward the end. But, but it's not about that. It's just, it's about the, the hunt and, and, Mm. and the clues and, and getting to that final treasure and and that sort of thing. And so it was, it was just a, 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 a really, you know, a, a fun movie, a joy to watch. Um, and, and just, uh, yeah, just, just one of those movies that you just, it's I, comfort viewing is the only way I can put it. It's just, it's, oh yeah it's a movie you can just plop down or if you happen to see it on TV and catch it in the middle of, of an airing, you just watch it to the end because you just enjoy it. And it is cinematic meatloaf. There it is. Ba-bam. So, uh, that is my number four. Uh, any thoughts on it or, uh, well, this is actually my number three. So I, I want to chime in a little bit here yeah, because it. it's Indiana Jones 2.0, mm. you know, it, it, it is the egghead who also happens to, you know, it with his background, be kind of able to handle himself in an action sense. Yeah. And I love the beginning, the opening mm-hmm. of the movie where you get the young, you know, young Benjamin Gates, with his father, Christopher Fracking Plummer. Yes. With like a great, just like, you know, probably half a day of work mm-hmm. and just comes in and just slays. It's great. Um, and I almost feel like that his like disdain like of John Voight is, is actual palpably real, uh, which I, <laughs> I enjoy. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but the whole like thing, and then they totally pull like an Indiana Jones and last crusade moment when you know you you see young benjamin gates and then it just jump cuts right to mm-hmm. present day benjamin gates almost like when when in, young indiana gets a hat put on him and then you old indiana you yep. see the hat come up and there he is on the ship you know getting the crap kicked out of him but yep. uh, but that whole thing like just it sets up the movie in such a great visual way that just pulls you in like mm. uh, they just did such a great job you're in within the first five minutes of the movie yeah you know yep. and that's that's the thing like some movies take a lot long take a little bit longer to go but with this move with this type of movie you know infamously like you know harrison ford told you know uh, Mark Hamill about Star Wars, you know, hey kid, it's not that kind of movie. If people are thinking about your hair or continuity, we're in big trouble. Same sort of thing. Like, you just have to buy the 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 premise. You have to set it up, and if people buy that, you got them. Yeah, and then you can kind of yeah. do whatever you want. Um, Sean Bean plays a great antagonist. Oh yeah, um, and doesn't get killed. Good for him. Yeah. No, nope. good for him. He just gets arrested. You know, I mean, in Boston, no less. In Boston, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and the characters are great. Like again, yeah. you, they don't need to be the deepest of all, but they they, yeah. they they treat each one with a certain degree of respect. They give them mm-hmm. all a little bit of space. They they don't treat any like a complete cardboard cutout. Like each one gets enough of enough screen time and moments and attention that you're like, okay, I buy that that is a a fully fledged movie character Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you buy them they have some sort of weight on screen yeah i love that Mm -hmm. and it is it's just fun it's just a fun flick to go through and um 
you know, we've watched this movie and National Treasure 2 approximately a billion times in my house. Yeah. Because um, after my daughter got introduced to it, she was just like, this is great. And I'm like, yes, I've done well as a parent. Um, <laughs> and then when they had the National Treasure series on Disney Plus, mm-hmm. the disgust that my daughter had for it, just because she's like, it's not as good as the movie. Yeah. I was like, yes. There yeah. we go. Get that snark. Let the snark I, flow through you. I thought I read they were supposed to come out with a third one, and it just never materialized. It has been in developmental hell. However, mm. apparently, the room around the campfire was that it is now booting into production. Oh, very nice. Because there is, at the end of National Treasure 2, mm-hmm. the president mm-hmm. gives him a little something and says... Take a look at this. I yeah. need your advice on this. And we don't know. I, I've read rumors that it might be about, you know, kind of like, you know, an, an energy source or, or or some sort of, you know, thing that uh, is, is a little bit outside of our, our reality, but it's something that is, you know, you know, relatable in a way. So, yes, be interesting. Yeah. But I, I second it wholeheartedly. Great. Nice. You know, not I mean, again, it's not it's not high cinema. It's just a lot of fun. It is. I, I, I was trying to find a, another word outside of fun to say about it, but that's the thing I remember about it is it's same with Indiana Jones. It's a fun <laughs> movie to watch and you, 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 you disconnect from reality. You just find yourself immersed in it. It, and it just it plays on if you're someone who likes puzzles or who likes to, you know, figure out the mystery or whatever. I mean, it just it plays on all those things. And in, and that's where the fun comes from. You know, it mm-hmm. just it, it engages you that way. So, yeah, 100 yeah, percent. Not every flick has to be life changing. No, you can just watch a thing for like an ha- hour and a half to two hours and then turn it off and go about your merry little way. It's OK. Yeah. It's all right. Yeah. All right. I got to pause know, here for a little uh a little break okay um so uh let me adjourn upstairs and uh go visit the whiz palace and i'll be back directly <laughs> good god Where was we? You're uh, you're number four, sir. All right. Uh, So number four for me uh, would be Ray. Um, Of course, that is the Jamie Foxx vehicle detailing the life of Ray Charles. Uh, Man, uh, what do you say about Jamie Foxx in this flick? I I, I don't know who else could have done a better job. Um, I think it's amazing. And I don't honestly, I don't have a ton to say about this. I just think. Yeah. Obviously, his performance was incredible. The music was amazing. But of course, you know, that's because, I mean, there's a reason why they called Ray Charles the genius. Uh, The man could write and sing and play a tune. Um, And then just all the supporting cast and just going through this man's life and just fitting all that into the flick. I really felt like, man, it it told a great story, you Mm -hmm. know, And, and really I felt it just did credit to the man who they're, they're, you know, they're, they're talking about. I, I've, I've watched it only a handful of times, but I do, I just remember watching it the first time being, dear God, this is an incredible flick. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I, not something that's on high rotation, but a wonderful, a wonderful piece of, a wonderful movie for, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I unfortunately have, uh, I, I need to see this one. I actually haven't seen oh, it. Oh, you'll love it. 
Um, but yeah, I, I remember hearing great things about it. Didn't he win an Oscar? I believe. I want to say that he did. I. Yeah, I think he. Uh, let's see. Let's see here. Won Where's... two Oscars. I click the button. Why isn't it telling me? Yeah, I know. For, IMDb has gone a little bit weird with some of their formatting because it yeah, used to best be this performance by an actor. Okay. Yeah, it used to be real easy to find some of that stuff, and now I'm like, man. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But nice. All right. What do you got for your what is this? Number three. I'm oh, not boy. gonna drink any effing Malo, baby. All <laughs> oh, Giamatti, ladies oh. and gentlemen. I really struggled with whether to put this to number one. This is one of these movies. Really? And, and and tell me if if you have ever had this sort of experience or not. But uh and and maybe it doesn't have to be in an airplane, but I saw this movie for the first time in an airplane when I was flying for a business trip. And okay. it was pretty much the entertainment going from, you know, New New Hampshire to Cal or, or sorry, Chicago to California. Um I had no idea what to expect from it. And it became like like it hit me in such a way where it was like, this is a really deep and interesting story. Mm. And 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 it was like an unforgettable sort of thing to the point where like after I saw it, I'm like, that is now one of my like I, I don't mean to say one of my favorite movies, but it, it it's a movie that I will I will again, if it's on in any way, shape, or form, I will watch it from wherever I see it to the end because mm-hmm. it is just such a well done story about two friends and their journey over the course of a weekend and one of the friends uh, who is just, you know, I, I, I got to look up the cast here because I'm going to get the names wrong. But um, yeah, I mean, I, Paul, Paul Giamatti is just phenomenal. Oh, Thomas Hayden Church. Yes. I was going to say, I, I knew the Thomas Hayden and I'm like, there's something after that. I mean, the the whole Miles and Jack dynamic is just, you know, the 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 perfect like kind of odd couple take. And then when, when you layer in you know, the, the, uh, you know, the complications that, that, that rise up because of Jack's behavior, Mm -hmm. um, you know, miles trying to, you know, he, he's one of, he's clearly one of those, those characters where he's kind of at, at midlife, doesn't feel like he's achieved much trying to find his niche, trying to find his place. And then he finds, you know, Maya, you know, with, through, through Jack's tomfoolery, um, and, and, you know, starts to find himself a bit. And, and it was just interesting, just some of the stylistic ways that they kind of showed that, you know, like, like there's this whole scene where, um, you know, she and he go to like, you know, kind of a market and they're, they're just spending time together. And you, you, for the first time see this character who has largely been pathetic and very, you know, kind of, um, just, you know, feels like a loser and just kind of down and out. And now he's got this confidence about him. He's, he's, he's much different. And so, so, so the way that it was just portrayed was just so well done. Uh, Sandra Oh is amazing in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, yeah. So, so just overall, I mean, you know, not, not a, a greatest of all time sort of movie, but, but a movie that, I don't know, just struck a chord with me emotionally. Um, I, I love the wine stuff that, that, that they get into. I mean, the, the, the whole wine tasting scene was hysterical, especially when, when, when Giamatti is like tasting this wine and he like puts his like fingers to his ear, like he's in a recording studio as he's trying to like, you know, suss out what, what all the flavors are that he's tasting and smelling. And I mean, it's just, it's so ludicrous, but it, it's like, you, you just love that about the character. He, 
he's like such a nut about this stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so anyway, so it's, it, it was just, it, it's become kind of like, you know, again, comfort viewing and, and just, uh, just, just, just one of those, those buddy flicks where, where you just, uh, find yourself just kind of engrossed in it and, and it's just so well done. So, uh, yeah, sideways, I, I would highly recommend that as a number three. Yeah, there are those flicks that come along at a certain point in your life sometimes that just resonate. Yeah. And then and you remember where you are. Like, you can't ever forget that. You know what I mean? It's crazy. Well, I, I, th- I think it's a special memory for you being on a plane because, I mean, you're literally a captive audience. Yeah. I haven't had that same experience, but I I, I would say the, they, they, hit, they resonate with you at a certain time. And then mm. when you go back there's resonance. It's not the same resonance necessarily, mm. but you, it, it resonates with you at different points in your life and you're able to find that same sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oddly enough, I feel, I feel a little bit the same way about, uh, clerks too, mm. which is odd that like a sequel to like this indie flick would have a resonance, mm-hmm. but there is a certain, when I saw that at that time in my life, I'm like, wow, Okay, this mm-hmm. is weird. Like, there's there's stuff here that I've I you know that I that is not in my too distant past, and 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 just some of the things. And as I've watched it afterwards, I'm like, wow. Okay, and now I different perspective comes in, and and mm-hmm. but it's still there. Like, there's it's a resonance, but it's a different type of resonance. Yeah, and I think that's interesting when a movie can kind of almost grow with you. Yeah, in a certain way. Yeah. And they, they're few and far between, which makes them kind of special. So that's cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. What's your number three? Uh, well, this one's going to be real easy. Uh, National Treasure. So uh, uh. kind of enough said about that one. Uh, let's move on to your number two, uh, which hey, is... Hey, Kill Bill hey. Volume 2. So All right. about that one. <laughs> Sweet. We managed to breeze through those real quick. Oh, my gosh. Um, We're both getting tired, too, I think. <laughs> I gotta go to bed. Oh my gosh. You've got an hour on me, sir. Calm down. Buck up, camper. Buck up. Um, All right, which brings me to my number two, uh, which I'm going to go with. uh, We mentioned, uh, I kind of threw out the name Scorsese uh, earlier Mm. uh, The Aviator. Hmm. Um, And it's interesting because earlier today on uh, Reddit, in between between sets at the gym, I find myself going on Reddit because it's it's one of those things where I'm like, uh, I've got like a minute and a half that I kind of need to kill before my next set to rest up. So let me go read some, you know, one quick thing on Reddit and then it keeps me from diving too deeply into it. Mm-hmm. But there was one thread that I kind of, I almost read this entire thread in between sets while I was at the gym and they were talking about um, casino. And if that is like peak Scorsese and, you know, different people are making different arguments and and you know one of the interesting things was the aviator got bandied about but it was never really in contention for you know like is this peak scorsese Mm. and um i kind of like i i'm i then realized like just how little of scorsese's catalog i've really watched um you know, yeah. but the aviator is right up there for me. Like I really enjoy this flick and I like going back and rewatching it. And that probably says something about me that, you know, this movie that is really kind of a, you know, it's a movie about mental illness <laughs> masquerading as a biopic. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that this resonates with me. Um, and, and yes, I am in therapy, so it's okay. Um, we're all going to be okay. We're all going to be okay. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> 
Um, I, I just I, there's so much style to this flick. DiCaprio is great. Um, it's over the top, and and of course we we get um uh, you know Charles uh, uh, John C. Riley. Who is flipping fantastic? Yeah, uh, as as like just this kind of like, all right, I guess we'll do this. Thing. All right, I guess we'll do this thing. Like that's basically his entire thing. Um, and again, Kate Blanchett making another appearance um, as Catherine Hepburn. Oh my gosh, does she chew fracking scenery? Mm-hmm. Um, Alec Baldwin. We get Alan Alda uh, appearance. Just so many, you know. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh my gosh, and of course I can't forget uh, Ian Holm. Mm-hmm. Um, who is, uh, you know, makes an appearance. Uh, I know him from the fifth element, which is probably kind of sacrilegious, but whatever. Um, great cast and a great story and just kind of treated with, with, uh, with, you know, a, a certain amount of gravitas, but also with, you know, a bit of lightness as well. Um, yeah. and of course, because it's Scorsese, there's just so many things where you're like, oh my gosh, this movie is so lush and luxurious. It almost feels like an indulgence. <laughs> It's like it, it, it's so extravagant visually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, where do you even start in some of these scenes when you're looking at stuff and and but yet also manages to pull off these moments where you're like, oh, it's so, so stylized to that time period and this and that and the other. So it's just great. Uh, and, and it is one of my favorite Scorsese movies. Uh, I mean, it's not going to topple Goodfellas. Don't get me wrong. But uh, but it's right up there. Nice. Very yep, nice. that's the number two number two movie on my list. So now the big question here, sir, is what holds the top spot for the man they call Tim, the year in movies two thousand and four? Uh, I ended up going with probably what would be considered the maybe the easy pick from that year because it was probably one of the one of the more popular or highest grossing movies of that year, which was Spider Man Two. Hmm. Uh, with Tobey Maguire. Um, this is the the story of uh, Dr. Otto Octavius becoming Dr. Octopus. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, just, uh, I, you know, I thought um, Alfred Molina was, uh, you know, a fantastic choice for, you know, really across the board for, for, for those those two, you know, th- those couple of movies. Um, they, they really chose... Uh, the right people to play those antagonists. You know, William Defoe, the Green Goblin, was, was you know, fantastic. Willem. Willem Dafoe. Just saying, put a little respect on the man's name. You know, I'll put some stank on his name is what I'll put. Oh, uh, you know what? You better not say that too loud because Willem might show up your door and yeah. he'll be he'll be giving you that smile that's like, <laughs> bring it. Okay, okay. Bring it. <laughs> it's going to be so great when I'm recording next week and Tim's got two black eyes. Be like, what happened, Tim? I ran into Willem. Willem, <laughs> Willem happened down your neck of the woods? <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna find out, ladies and gentlemen, that that Uncle Todd has has Willem on speed dial. He basically <laughs> dials him up and says, "I found another one who doesn't respect the name." <laughs> You're not gonna believe the crap this jabroni was saying. Give me his number. Oh man! But where um, does he live? Indeed. Uh, but yeah, no. This 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 was a, a fun flick. Uh, 
you know, where, where Spider-Man is, uh, you know, struggling with, uh, you know, balancing being the superhero and, and, you know, the, you know, kind of, kind of what is become what Spider-Man struggle is, you know, balancing is his, uh, his place as a superhero with, uh, you know, trying to maintain some kind of normal life. And so, uh, so yeah, so, so just a, uh, just, you know, just a really, you know, strong outing, probably Spider-Man one and two, I would say would be the strongest, uh, of that trilogy. And then three <laughs> yeah. was a bit of a letdown. So, um, but, but I really do think this, I, I don't know if this one exceeded the Spider-Man one, but it definitely met it, you know, it, it, it still, it was able to be a strong outing and, you know, told, told a really good story, um, you know, with, with, you know, how Dr. Octopus becomes who he becomes. And then some of the struggles that his, his you know, that his friend Harry has with, uh, you know, the loss of his father and, um, and just, you know, in some ways becoming the green goblin, um, afterwards. So, um, so yeah, so I, I felt like this was a strong outing and a, a representative number one for uh, 20, 2004. All right. Well, fair enough. Uh, my number one movie for the year of 2004, The Incredibles. Ah, yes. To this day, the best Fantastic Four movie ever made, and it's not even about the Fantastic Four. So good, so good, so good. What what a just overall, I this is one of those movies where I'm like, I don't know what I could change. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what could be changed about this. Mm-hmm. Um, Brad Bird, of course, is the director, kind of the creative force behind this. I mean, good God, you've got Craig T. Nelson, Samuel L. Jackson, Holly Hunter, Jason Lee, um, uh, and then a ton of you know, voice actors who everyone kind of is like, oh, yeah, them. Uh, Wallace Shawn, ladies and gentlemen, mm-hmm. Wallace Shawn. Um, and of course, um, we've got Sarah Vowell as uh, Violet Parr. Uh, I mean, Edna. Oh my gosh! And Brad Bird as Edna Mode, which is so perfect. Yeah. So of course, uh, yep. and and one of the most iconic like characters uh, from Pixar, if for mm-hmm. my money, is is Edna. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, no capes. Um, <laughs> That's right. That's right. No capes. <laughs> And um, but just so, so, so good. And 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 this way of of dealing with, you know, with aging and and, you Mm. know, glory years past all through a superhero and a family unit and all of these things. And then kind of almost the way that they show vulnerability in a very interesting way to the point Mm. where, you know, uh, you know, you know, Mr. Incredible is, you know, the reason why he can't, why he has to be the one to save the day is like, is because he's so scared of, of losing everything mm-hmm. else. Like it's okay if he's lost, but he can't be the survivor. You know, he yeah. can't be the one who's, who's left in. And I think that's a, I think that's a, it, it shows this vulnerability in a really cool way Yeah. Um, that I don't think gets expressed all that often. Yeah. And and you're doing it in what is what many people would regard, well, it's an animated flick, it's a kids flick. And yeah, it works as a kids flick. It totally does. But like most Pixar movies, of course, you know, uh, early Pixar movies especially, um what I would say is kind of their heyday also functions on this totally other level as an as an as a as a movie for adults. And 
hits hard in some spots hits really hard and then at, then upon further watchings different parts hit hard as you're watching somebody almost make really bad mistakes and and kind of you're like oh oh yeah that's it. okay the middle age cri- mid-age crisis yeah midlife crisis oh yeah uh-huh. i'm mm-hmm. seeing it yeah yeah uh, he's just not buying a you know a convertible he's going off and superheroing um but so good and then of course the the style of the animation uh just gorgeous and delightful the music mm-hmm. the music from this movie probably one of my all-time soundtrack favorite soundtracks yeah and i love how just the actual technique used in recording this recording the the orchestra the band essentially old school recording it was done with like the bare minimum of microphones i mean now that the the way that things are recorded it's like let's mic everything and that way we have a billion tracks and we can tweak everything this was recorded i think with like two maybe three microphones for an entire orchestra jeez and it's just like it is what it is mm-hmm. and it's fracking flawless it sounds amazing um I love everything about this movie. I could go on and on and on, um, but it is it is undoubtedly one of my f- uh, when I was you know my daughter's growing up and we of course were going through all the Pixar movies. Mm-hmm. I was always very happy to pop in the Incredibles. Yeah. Always like when that when that when she would have a doubt about what she was going to watch or what if, if that's one she pick. I was always excited about this one. Yeah, um, you know. Honey, where's my super suit? Um, <laughs> just so good. So good. I, good old I, Frozone. Yeah. Oh, easily my top flick, which is kind of funny that we wound up in this year of so many movies that are, you know, like mm. renowned and, and, you know, all these, you know, critics choice and popular movies. And we go with like the two superhero flicks. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of funny to me. Absolutely. This was another one that I... um I I seem to remember in 04 and 05, I think I was doing a lot of, I don't say a lot, but I, I had several trips out to California for work. And this was another time I was on a flight and I saw The Incredibles. And I just mm. remember being, yeah, just, you know, blown away by the visuals, um, you know, great story. Um, and, and I mean, just everything you said, I mean, it, it was just, it was such, such a well done movie and, and really, really enjoyed it. So, uh, I, I had this at one point in my top five. I had to drop it out when I came upon some of the other, you know, films that, that, that I found as I was going through because uh, they they were resonating a little bit more with me. But, yeah, no, a, a respectable number one, sir. All right. And now we get into our surprises. We'll try and breeze through these a little bit quickly. Yeah, I'm uh, not going to go into depth on the – well, I'll, I'll say a couple of words, but that's about it. These are weird oddball or things that just caught our eye. Uh, what are what are your – do you want to – yeah. Well, I'll, so what's I'll, your, just fly, I'll just fly yeah. through my three. You go through yours. So my first surprise, uh, Alien versus Predator. Um, never saw this. Um, and I remember seeing you know commercials and trailers for it, but I just thought it was just such a – an odd concoction to bring those two franchises together and, and seemed like a, a definite gimmick, uh, gimmick milking that was going on for, for some studios. So, so that was a surprise to see. Well, you know where that kind of came from? Uh, video game. Well, in predator two in, at one point, I guess Danny Glover goes into the, the predator ship and there is the xenomorph skull in like the trophy oh, room. Oh, 
okay, okay. I and I believe that was the genesis of that entire mythology, and it was in comic books and all this stuff. I and, see. And people and fans of this are are just like, this is a license to print money, but yet yeah. every time it has been attempted by the studio is botched so horrible. I think they've made like two or three of these flicks now. Yeah. And they're apparently they're all abysmal. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't remember it being very good, but I I forgot about that. Yeah, with Predator Two, I saw that movie like once, and it it completely uh, is lost on me that that was the case. But very interesting context for why they would make this. Um, my second one is uh, a a bit of a a satire called Saved. Uh, it's basically uh, a, a flick, um, kind of about the the contradictory nature of. Uh, uh, you know, uh, a, a girl who, who who gets pregnant in a Christian school, and and the way she's basically shunned by everyone. <laughs> so, um, you know, kind kind of going against the basic tenets of the religion. So, you know, just a bit, yeah. yeah. Um, but I remember seeing this on TV, uh, kind of pieced it together through you know seeing you know part of it at one point, another part of it another. But it it it, it was just kind of an interesting flick, and uh, I didn't realize it was a 2004 flick. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, I I remember seeing that, and and I remember it was. <laughs> Is kind of a just kind of an oddball you know story but I, I think Macaulay Culkin's in it and um cu- a couple other uh actually let me look it up real quick um yeah there's a couple names in it that I wasn't expecting um there are a couple movies from like this year that as I'm going through I'm like wait a minute they they were in that they got someone to play like they actually did they pay them <laughs> Jenna Malone uh who I who I think is rose to some prominence as an actress um, Mandy Moore was in it Macaulay Culkin uh Eva Amuri who is Susan Sarandon's daughter I think she's been in um several films Mary Louise Parker was in this um oh you're about to flip your stuff right here sir you ready for this one okay Are you brace for impact John Cena Aaron Douglas from BSG fame is in this movie chief chief uh, I, actually he's listed as paramedic <laughs> Now wait a minute. When when did BSG came out in two thousand four? Oh, that is wasn't true. that the remake? Yeah, you're right. You're right. So he was paramedic and chief. Uh, oh, and even crazier. Um, although I think she has since become. I I, I don't remember if she was was she involved in that weird cult. Um, Nikki Klein, who was from BSG, who played Chief's wife. Yeah, I think she was in that cult. Yeah, but yeah, but kind of crazy no. that that. Setting that aside, it's kind of crazy that Aaron Douglas, who plays Chief, and Nikki Klein, who ends up playing his wife for part of the series, are in True. this movie together. <laughs> kind of they were both they were both in the miniseries pilot. Yeah, Callie yeah. was you know very much kind of well not very much, but she had some moments. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So. Anyways, uh, so Saved was my second one. And then my final surprise, uh, just because uh, it, it, bo- it boggles my mind that a movie <laughs> from 1988 had, had, oh, I guess it shouldn't because I just watched an Indiana Jones sequel and that was from, you know, 84. But uh-huh. uh, Seed of Chucky, um, yeah. that would be from the Child's Play uh, original movie from 1988. Um I don't. I I saw Child's Play one and two, and then that was kind of it for me, and I moved on. So um, I don't know what number in the series this one is, but I just saw that and thought the name was just really strange. Seed of Chucky. So, I just thought, what's up with that? I did. I did. <laughs> so what are your three, sir? What are your three surprises? Well, oddly enough, these are these are two out of these three I actually own. Um, mm. So this is actually more of an extension of my other seven. Um, but they're also a little bit oddball. Uh, Hellboy 
mm. which is a just insane movie, um, but also just a lot of goodness, a real good weird, because, of course, we get Ron Perlman, mm-hmm. uh, Gu- Guillermo del Toro is the director. Um, uh, oh, God, it's just so, so fracking bizarre. I can't even begin to describe it. You just have yeah. to watch it. Um, then Napoleon Dynamite, a movie the first time I watched it, I hated this movie with like all of the core of my being. And then somebody, actually the same people who I watched it with the first time told me I had to watch it a second time. And I was mm-hmm. like, and I think at that point, like they, they, I think they brought the DVD to my house. And so I could, dr- I could have beer while I was watching it. And that mm-hmm. was, that was why I watched it the second time. And the second time I'm like. Oh, I get it. Yeah. It's supposed to be this stupid. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I actually haven't watched it from beginning to end, but I've seen parts of it. And I, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of uh, Uncle Rico and his snake-flinging <laughs> ways. So I just oh, want to say. Yeah. And again, some good quotable lines, but also just it's a bizarre flick. Yeah. And it's, it's just one of those things where uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's just bizarre. And I, I've, I think I've seen it a total of three times. It's one of those movies I don't really ever feel like I need to watch again. Yeah. I think I've, I've, yeah. I've saturated myself, uh, Napoleon Dynamite-wise. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, it is oddball, and it, I think it is worth a watch because it's, it's a different, very different kind of comedy. Um, and then, of course, uh, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, which <laughs> for someone who is not a stoner, I love me mm-hmm. some stoner flicks. Uh, and this is just so weird and funny um and i just i just remember watching this i think i rented it and then i'm like okay I, now i need to i need to own this um because i'm i'm going to watch this approximately 100 times and it is it's just so bloody weird um and this i believe was before neil patrick harris got how i met your mother so this was before mm. the the nph uh renaissance and he's in this movie as himself, but as like the most like outlandish, crazy version of himself. And it is it is a delight. Um, so, yeah, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. I have I've have still to this day not seen Harold and Kumar go to Guantanamo Bay, uh, the sequel. Oh, However, I do need to see that before uh, before I shuffle off this mortal coil. <laughs> on the bucket list Jeez Louise hey I've got a wicked long uh, bucket list I'm hoping to stave off death as long as possible nice nice all right and so that concludes uh, kind of our mishmash uh, top 10 um, if you will and so now we get into some awards which we, we started this I think a couple uh, times ago with these these awards are uh, they're almost as insane as some of our picks uh, so yeah. let's just say these are random awards handed out to random movies sir you have the honors so am I going to run through all of mine, and then you're going to run through all of no, yours? No, no, we'll, we'll go back and forth. One at a time. All right. Uh, my, my first award, uh, Best Film from 2004 to feature Snoop Dogg as a Captain, Soul Plane. Oh, my God. <laughs> what a bizarre effect that was. <laughs> what a, if, it's, it's almost like if you thought Undercover Brother was too highbrow, here's Soul Plane. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> it, but yet I, i've I, never seen it i i've not watched to say it. other than i just saw that it was a film made in 04 and it just cracked me up and i saw snoop dogg was played captain something or other and i'm like all right i watched sure it enough. you know what it was fun i yeah. it was, it was nice. good it was a good laugh nice. you know very nice all right you sir um all right so i'm gonna actually reverse these a little bit um 
most likely to suck based solely on the title <laughs> never die alone um which was a the dmx vehicle from oh, 2004 gosh. uh yeah no i that's a that's a big that's a hard pass for me yeah yeah. X going to give it to you. Yeah, it's just X going to give it to you. It's going to give it to you. It might <laughs> what he might be giving you is a bag of dog poo. <laughs> what do you got next, sir? Uh, this award best film title to guarantee failure. <laughs> Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. <laughs> Which I, I don't know what it is about that name. It drives me absolutely insane. When I saw this, I'm like, really? Someone made a film that has, you know, eight seven or eight words in it then it's just come on now come up with something better sky captain vengeance tour is better than that (laughs) title for crying out loud so uh that's my award i I also see you you have an award for this movie as well and what is your award sir most likely to be too far ahead of its time sky captain the world of tomorrow because i don't know if you if you know this like this movie is very interesting in the fact that it was it was really the first movie that was shot um, how do I put this? It was completely shot without any kind of backgrounds. Hmm. It was okay. all blue screen. Oh. Everything, every background. Okay. Um, most of like the scenery is all computer generated. Um, and and the idea was the 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 director slash writer who came up with this idea just had this vision of like, okay, you can make movies with anything now. Like it's mm. possible to do anything, and um. You know, this is very early when he's making this when, you know, it it took forever and a day to render computer graphics. So it took forever for him to, like, get his, you know, kind of the the uh, I think he did like a demo. And that was how he recruited like Jude Law Mm -hmm. um, and Mm -hmm. um, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and what's her face? um, Angelina Jolie. Um, you know, and, and that's how he got a lot of those is a lot of those folks is like mm. this, this thing and showing like, this is how we're going to make the movie. And this is, you know, the method and all that. And it, it, to me, it's, it still is because of the way and the, t- and the kind of style they tried to use, it works. Mm. It's not the greatest movie, but then again, it was yeah. never meant to be the greatest movie. It was never meant to be high cinema. It was, it was kind of a demo of like, look, this is what you can do. And we're going to shoot it like an old timey kind of, you know, uh, you know, invasion UFO sci-fi sort of movie. Mm. And for that, I think it works. It's got some really interesting moments and some, and some cool visuals. I mean, I'm not going to pretend that it'll ever, you know, be anyone's number one favorite movie in the world ever. If it is, they might need counseling. And you haven't life. convinced me. You haven't but, convinced uh, me. But no, it's, it, it was ahead of its time. All right. I'm, Tim is I'm, scribbling I'm, on his legal pad. Notes. I'm writing something down get, on a legal pad for later on. That's that's all I'm going to say. Get new show host. <laughs> all right. What's your next one? Uh, this award, best film to tangentially connect to Jack Sparrow. This is the Libertine uh, starring. How in the hell does this work? How many steps of Kevin John- Bacon are we going through here? No, no. This this stars Johnny Depp as uh, playing a socialite from uh, the 17th century, I believe, um, with, um, I believe, uh, I'm forgetting the STD that he has. And uh, <laughs> basically, he's he, he's a man of ill so repute. You're, you're saying that Captain Jack Sparrow has herpes? Well, <laughs> I'm just saying, if you see it, and you, you're, you can kind of connect the dots from this just character saying, to Jack Sparrow. he's got some sores. <laughs> 
you know, he's he's walking a little, you know. <laughs> it's not a limp, it's gonorrhea. <laughs> no, but but the, the the I forget the name of the character who like who who the libertine is, but basically he's based on a character from I believe historical times. It, it's Fritz von Chlamydia. <laughs> I walked right into this one. <laughs> Good God! Let me let me look this film up because I'm just doing this no no good here. Um, oh my gosh! I'm see. sorry. Oh, Johnny Depp plays. Uh, let's see. The Earl. Oh, John Wilmot, aka the Earl of Rochester, a 17th century poet who famously drank and debauched his way to an early grave, only to earn posthumous critical acclaim for his life's work. So the movie is is all about his his life where. Uh, and I forget the king that he, he has some relationship with with um, the king where he he ends up like ticking the king off because he basically writes a play that makes fun of the king. And then later on comes to the king's defense um, for some purpose. It's been so long since I've seen the movie, but but it, it kind of plays off the idea that he's this, you know, he lives this, it, he, he's basically in, in, in a lot of ways, the Doc Holiday of, of the 17th century and ends up paying a price for it. Um, but, you know, highlighting, you know, kind of what he does during his life that ends up you know, becoming recognized after the fact. And one of the things that is kind of cool about the movie is at the very end, it, it kind of plays to the idea of, of, you know, will they remember me? Will they remember uh. there, There's this kind of haunting, it, it starts off with him in, you know, kind of coming from the shadows and, you know, basically introducing who he is and what he's about. And then it kind of launches into the story. And then it ends with that same kind of shadow where he's kind of standing there in front of a candle and he's like, you know, will they remember me? Well, and he kind of fades to the back and, and disappears. And so it's just kind of a, you know, very artistic kind of movie, but it, it was just, you know, anyways, I, I was toying with putting it into, you know, my, my top, you know, seven or so, but it just, couldn't fit given all the other ones so i just gave uh, it its yes. own award connecting so it to the, the earl of crotchinchester was was yes. booted yes indeed indeed all right uh, next up for me most likely to be confused for an infomercial the machinist ah very nice very nice i agree um i have uh two uh got uh, the uncle todd honorary awards i know we haven't mentioned this oh, yet geez. during this but we almost made it but uncle todd says you know he the he set, first he, time that we did this by the way set the bar uh with, the with a year time. that we that either of us were one or, or two years old so we, neither one of us had seen all these movies or been around nope. so okay uh, go ahead now but uncle todd at one point uh had selected a movie called wanda the wicked warden and apparently didn't realize that this was a a movie of somewhat ill repute and so so i i feel like you you remember the hunt for red october yes and you remember the point when the when the exo of the the boat is is talking about you know how the sonar guy had you know mm-hmm. was playing the music mm-hmm. and then so he's telling the story and then i always feel like when i'm busting in it's like that guy who's like and one way the hell out of pearl <laughs> I feel like that's where I'm at when we when you tell the story every yes. friggin' time. Yes, and 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 then I believe you picked another flick that was basically oh, essentially about like a a uh, uh, what would you call it polyamorous relationship that was going on. Oh with yeah, like totally. Reynolds and a few others that was kind of oh, crazy. Yeah, it is. Uh, so I call this the Uncle Todd 2004 MVP runner-up. Uh, there was a movie made in 2004 called Three Way. <laughs> Yeah, sounds about right. 
And then if there's a runner up, you know that there is going to be a MVP award. And so the Uncle Todd 2004 MVP award goes to a flick entitled Suburban Secrets. And let's just say there is a lady who is not quite fully clad on the cover of that. So (laughs) it's a lady. So anyways, those two are the Wanda the Wicked Warden uh, selections for uh, Uncle Todd uh, for the t- year of 2004. All right. Well, well, thank you for that. Um, no, no problem. I just thought I'd help you out there. Uh, my next award is most likely that everyone was doing someone a favor by being in the flick. Uh, and that goes to The Last Shot, um, which I just I want to read the the kind of the tagline for this a movie director screenwriter finds a man to finance his latest project but soon discovers that the producer is actually an undercover fbi agent working on a mob sting operation and this one has a uh, 47 uh meta score and is rated five and 5.7 stars out of 10 Mm -hmm. on imdb the cast is what is kind of amazing for this we've got matthew broderick uh alec baldwin wow uh tony collette uh, Tony Shaloub, Callista Flockhart. Uh, who else is in here? Ray Liotta. Jeez. <laughs> um, anyone else that we know? No, but even then, just for that, Buck just, Henry. Oh, and James uh, James Rebhorn, uh-huh. who he's been in a been in some flicks. Nice. But yeah, it, uh, and uh, Michael Papajohn. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it, just looking at that premise, I'm like. And they all signed on in this. So they must have been getting paid cash. Yes. Yes. Uh, what's your next award, sir? Uh, best film title in my in, in my estimation, Elvis has left the building. I, uh-huh. I say no more. That's what it is. How about you? What's your next one? Uh, most likely to be confused for a real housewives of the XFL pilot. <laughs> she hate me. <laughs> That's excellent. That is excellent. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Uh my next one, most exciting film title, Cash Truck. <laughs> gosh. I mean, if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna sell sell some some tickets and put some butts in seats, nothing gets them in there and packs the theaters more than a film called Cash Truck. <laughs> Such a bizarre, bizarre movie title oh my um, gosh what do you my got next, next actually i'll let you do another one here because i think you've you've outnumbered me on this so why don't you double up do it do another one here all right so uh the the m night Shyamalan 2004 special award goes to the village which I, I did see i did enjoy it actually but really? I, I just couldn't i couldn't layer it into my uh my top 10 list there so yeah i <laughs> did i liked it interesting i like because it played on the fear thing it, it like so much of it was based on you know, the devil, you don't know, you know, like you, 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 you know, there's this awareness that there's a creature out there and they, they don't wander into the woods and you end up finding out it's all like a, you know, a, a, a put on to keep people from realizing that they're living, you know, in, in, you know, modern times. In West Jersey. Yeah. Uh, do you want to go one more or do you want to go, yeah, go ahead and do one more? Uh, most groundbreaking horror movies. And, and so this one, most, you know, some of these have been joke, joke awards. This one, I, Mm. I I have to give, give the nod to, and I've never seen it. I I've, again, I'm not a horror person, but I see, I've watched trailers and I will read about movies and stuff like that. And so saw, um, which ended up, you know, going like six or seven more iterations after this one, um, was very, from what I could tell was just, you know, groundbreaking in terms of the storytelling, um, you know, definitely wove in a an antagonist with some uh, 
you know, some depth to it, not, not just a, a, an evil person, you know, killing for the sake of killing, but, but basically, uh, you know, the fact that, that this person was, was trying to, you know, teach people a lesson and, and what, what that, that character was kind of going through themselves, um, you know, suffering from cancer and that sort of thing. So, you know, again, not to justify it all, but it, it, it just had, it had depth to it and, and it seemed to have, um, you know, I, I mean, it's, you know, the, the, the traps everyone goes through are, are quite violent and, and disgusting from what I've yeah. read, but, um, but, but the concept of it is, is it was just what I, I found kind of interesting and thought was different. So thought I'd give the nod to that one. And by How the about, way, uh, just oh. in case you were wondering, uh, Saw 10 Oh, okay. It's so going we've to be had released. nine iterations since uh, the first one. Very yeah, nice. it's going to be released September 29th, two thousand twenty-three. So you got that to look forward to. You got some. You got some things to catch up on. Good lord! And actually, I believe Chris Rock was in one of the one of these uh, somewhere along the way. Actually, I want to say it was it this one. Is it Jigsaw? No. Oh my gosh! So. <laughs> Uh, Jigsaw, which is the 2017 Saw movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, friend of the show, Callum Keith Rennie. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, uh, what's, oh my gosh, what? Um, uh, I'm going to forget too now. Leoben. Leoben, thank you. From BSG. Mm-hmm. Um, where, now this is going to bug me. Where? Which one was, was it Spiral? Yes, Spiral. So the, the Saw 9 mm-hmm. stars Chris Rock. And has an appearance by Samuel L. Jackson, apparently. Interesting. Yep. Interesting. Interesting stuff. Uh, not interesting enough to make me want to watch any of them, but sure. Um, so my next uh, award is most likely to be left off of Anthony Mackie's resume these days. She hate me. <laughs> nice. And again, uh, Anthony Mackie just uh, released Twisted Metal uh, on streaming, which I actually saw the first episode of. Mm-hmm. Bat spit insane, but it looks like he is having an absolute blast nice. doing it. So nice. I'm like, I'm, I'm probably going to watch the rest of it. Interesting. Interesting. It's, it's one thing like when you watch a movie and you can tell someone's like, oh, yeah, I yeah. never should have signed up. He he seems like he is just tickled 18 shades of pink to yeah. be in this thing. And I'm like, all right, damn it. If you were that excited, let me let me I'll, I'll buckle up and take the ride with you. Fine. Nice. Nice. Uh, my next couple, I'll, I'll, I'll do a couple of them cause they're, they're both kind of related to, uh, uh, you know, superhero animated stuff, best animated superhero movie film. We talked about this, uh, the Incredibles. So even though mm. I had Spider-Man two as my number one, uh, the, from an animated standpoint, the Incredibles, I think, uh, wins the day of 2004. Mm. And then uh, apparently there was a movie, um, that was made, uh, best precursor to the MCU phase five, uh, the Thunderbirds, which, uh, uh, basically I, I know they're called the Thunderbolts in the MCU, but I just thought it was close enough that I thought I would, you know, throw that ah, in there. So, I see. uh, what's your next one, sir? Uh, actually, why don't you do one more? I got to kill a spider. Hang on. Oh, okay. Oh, there he goes. Uncle Todd smoting the insects of the basement. It's not an insect, it's an arachnid. Well, all right, there we go. I didn't realize we were going to be so, uh, you know, specific on well, what, what you, know, you smite. I've got a, I've got a perimeter set up here. <laughs> perimeter, jeez, <laughs> Louise. Well, I'm down you... here in the Blair Witch basement. I've got to, I've got to keep my, I got to keep a head on a swivel down here. 
what's creeping up on me? Ladies and gentlemen, we started recording. Uncle Todd's like, hold on. I got to kill a spider. Oh, there's another one. I'm like, what? Do you have an invasion going on down there? What's going on? A little bit. They're closing in on me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe you should stop drinking the, the whatever you're drinking. Maybe that's what's causing you to see things. All right. Um, best Van Damme arse kicking spree, as I call it, uh, goes to Wake of Death. Which, Such a uh, Van Damme movie title. The description thusly describes um, apparently a spouse gets uh, killed and he goes on a killing spree to avenge her death. Uh-huh. Basically, I think that's the... So a real family flick. Basically, it's the synopsis, I think, of every uh, Charles Bronson movie, I think, too. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, just about. All right, I'll I'll go one more and then let you yes, go. Yes, please. Uh, best line of two thousand four from Starsky and Hutch. Do it, do it. <laughs> My gosh, do it. All right, sir. What do you got next? Uh, most likely to unintentionally sound like a porno title, <laughs> the girl next door. <laughs> Very nice. All best right, film. Yeah. Oh, you, do you want to go one more? No, 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 no. Go, no. go. Give me about three of yours here. Uh, best film co-starring Robin Williams and Jim Caviezel, <laughs> The Final Cut. <laughs> now, this one I actually saw. I actually saw this movie, and it, it actually uh, it, it, it was good. It, it was good. It was. Uh, it, it's all predicated on um, basically. Uh, everyone has a chip kind of implanted in their head that basically stores all their memories. And then Robin Williams plays a character who um, basically edits those when, when someone dies, he edits them down and then they, they play them at the funeral and as like the memory for the family. And so it's an interesting story about how he kind of cuts out, um, you know, a lot of the, the, the not so great stuff that people do and remember, mm -hmm. um, and, and how he kind of tailors the story, um, you know, of certain people, it, it gets into a, a whole situation of, I don't know if it was a politician or someone else who dies. And Jim Caviezel is kind of like someone who's trying to, you know, get some information about that person and whatnot. A anyways, at the, at, at the end of the movie, you know, Robin Williams character, I think ends up getting killed. And so Caviezel is like going through all of this, like, you know, um, all of these memories about this person or, or people that, that he has, you know, to, to go through. And it's all about, you know, it kind of ends with the whole idea of the burden that Robin Williams character was carrying, having to see all these memories and see all the, you know, the not so great things that mm -hmm. people do. And, and, uh, and, 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 and what stuck out to me, what I remember about it is just the way Caviezel looks at the end where he just looks like drained and just like, like a zombie almost because he's just, you know, the, the, the burden that he's now carrying is, is mm -hmm. just too much. So it, it actually a really good movie, but I thought this was just kind of a funny award because the pairing of Robin Williams and Jim oh, Caviezel yeah. is just so out there and odd. So yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't sound like that doesn't sound like people are going to hang around and have cocktails. Yeah. No. Uh, best holiday classic in the making, uh, non-animated. Uh, I didn't realize this Christmas with the cranks. This is another uh, staple in, in, in the, uh, the man they call Tim household, uh, around the holidays, uh, starring Tim Allen and, um, oh, forgetting, um, from Halloween, Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh yeah. Yeah. Very, very funny, very funny movie. And, uh, with, with, with a very touching, you know, kind of, uh, point to it and story to it. So really enjoyed that. Um, I'm almost at the end of my list. I have two more, so I don't know if you want to go. Um, all right, so I'll I'll do one more. You do your two, and then I'll I'll get okay. my final one here. Right. Um, following up on my previous award, most likely to intentionally sound like a porno title, 
goes to seed of Chucky. <laughs> Uh, very nice. I mean, that's that's just right up there on the tee, ladies and gentlemen. It is. It is. Uh, my last two uh, best trailer from HBO. Um, I, and I do remember this um, watching this trailer uh, for the life and death of Peter Sellers. It looked like a really interesting movie. I never saw it. Um, but just the, the concept around it being that, you know, Peter Sellers played all these different characters, but in, at the end of the day was a man who really had no identity of his own. And so um, mm. it just kind of fascinated me to the point. I mean, I didn't have HBO at the time and just never got around to watching it. I should probably actually see if it's on HBO Max or not. I but believe it. It is because I think I've 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 mused watching it because HBO documentaries are actually have are by and large from what I've seen really good. All right, and my last uh, award for this uh, segment to wrap us up here uh, is best Will Ferrell contribution uh, for 2004, and as we've discussed, Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy, uh, a classic in its own right, quotable uh, up, down, left, and right, and so uh, yeah, my my final uh, goofy award for this evening. What is your final award, sir, that I've tried to avoid looking at because you told me not to read it so I can react in real time to it? So please. All right, and this Go final forth. award is a follow-up for my two previous awards. And because now you're thinking of what sounds like a porno title and can't get your minds out of the gutter, here are some others. The Punisher. <laughs> Win a date with Tad Hill Hamilton. Oh, good God. Kung Fu Hustle. Oh, my gosh. Welcome to Mooseport. My Baby's Daddy. New York Minute. <laughs> Sleepover. Oh, good God. Ladies in Lavender. Oh, my God. Bobby Jones, Stroke of Genius. (laughs) Layer Cake. Oh, Uncle Todd. A Dirty Shame. (laughs) My Summer of Love. Oddly enough, St. Ralph. I don't know why. It just is. Uh, Touch of Pink. The Five of Us. (laughs) Steam Boy. Head in the Clouds. Yes. House of D, which, yes, that is an actual title of a movie that came out in 2004. Sweet Moses. Up and Down, Three Iron, A Good Woman, and finally, In My Country. (laughs) (sighs) Thank you for that, Uncle Todd. (laughs) You you almost have the Pat Summerall tone of voice. First and ten. (laughs) Thank you, John. (laughs) God, and ladies Dan. and gentlemen, that is 2004, the year in movies. Thank you, thank you very much for just—I don't know if blessing is the right word—but bestowing upon us that 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 rundown. Good God, thank I you need for, a shower now. Thank you for sharding in my brain. <laughs> All right, sir. Oh, what have gosh. you got for and another thing this episode? And another thing. Uh, I've already touched on it, but my end another thing uh, is from uh, on the Peacock uh, streaming network, if you have that, uh, WWE Elimination Chamber 2014, uh, specifically the, uh, let me jump over because I think I still have it up from earlier today, uh, at about uh, about minute 56, yeah, about minute 56 into it, you have uh, the Wyatt family versus the shield. This was uh, the culmination of these two factions who had been dominating WWE um, in their own ways over the last year of, of that time um, coming together and having a match. And 
just uh, it, it just reminded me, um, you know, just how how different these two these two groups were in terms of the action they brought to the ring. Um, I mean, there, there's just sequences in in this match, not not sequences like you would see with with cruiserweights or with like like the Lucha Libre style chain wrestling, you know, that would happen. But but just you know, just constant action with all six members, you know, kind of in motion at any one time. And um, you, you know, there, there was a part of the match where you know Roman Reigns is is you know whooping on Eric Rowan, and then you know. Bray Wyatt does something, knocks him out of the ring. He ends up running around the side and does his drive-by kick on Rowan, who's hanging off the. I mean, it was just it, it just like flows just so seamlessly and so smoothly. And I mean, just the six of them work together so well. And and uh, and so I, I would just recommend, you know, just again as as, as a kind of in 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 memoriam for uh, Bray Wyatt, a, a just a phenomenal six-man tag that uh, was was all about establishing who was the dominant faction at the time. Uh, so WWE Elimination Chamber 2014, minute 56, the, the Shield versus the Wyatt family. You will not yeah. be disappointed. And what, sir, is your end another thing? Uh, oddly enough, mine comes from the Peacock as well and ah, is also nice. focused on uh, the professional wrestling genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, mine is the documentary Becoming Cody Rhodes, mm. which is a fascinating look at someone who is you know, trying to make their way in a business mm-hmm. that your your dad was at one time like one of the, the biggest. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it kind of goes into just – Cody Rhodes' entire career and 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 his life, you know, revolving around sports entertainment and yep. and and how he has kind of shaped his own career and and even goes into the time away from WWE and then going to AEW and then coming back and just the essentially the story leading up to WrestleMania 39 and it's really fascinating and it's interesting for to hear him talk about a lot of that. Um. And, and and it felt in a way, in some ways, it felt a lot like the CM Punk um, documentary, mm-hmm. where it's like, wow, I'm kind of surprised that they're OK with this. Yeah, um, because there were times that he had some not so flattering things to say. And, and they had folks on there who, you know, uh, didn't necessarily shine the greatest light on WWE creative. But then again, I think you you do this job long enough they've got to be admit like yeah we've we've had some stinkers yeah um, the gobble can't all be winners no no <laughs> not at all but it's a, it's really well done and and mm. at the end of the day like there was it, i can always tell when something is good because if my if my wife is in the room and and kind of like has that active like disdain for it but then eventually starts asking me questions mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then i'm like i got her um, especially heading into like the hell in a cell match against Seth Rollins talking about like the injury that he had and stuff like that. Um, so it was, it was, it, it was really well done. And I would recommend that even if you're not, even if you're not hundred percent into professional wrestling, there's just a lot there, yeah. uh, for, in terms of a story to really interest you. The humans behind the characters are very interesting. Yeah. Uh, sometimes the story is even more interesting behind the scenes than what's Mm -hmm. going on uh, in the ring. Amen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for hanging out with us all this time. We appreciate it. And uh, we, uh, we appreciate all our listeners and subscribers as well. Thank you to all the members of the free range EDC congregation. If you'd like to join the congregation, which we refer to as the nicer cult, um, you can join us by going to free range and you can download all of our episodes there 
unmasked or uh, one by one, if you'd like, uh, depending on how you want to do that. You can also subscribe right through the Podbean app if you decided, you know what, I got enough apps in my life. I don't need anything else clogging up my phone and or computer. Fine. Just go ahead and find us on one, the uh, podcast purveyor of your choice. We're on pretty much all of them. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, uh, Pandora, you know, Phil's podcast service. I bet we're on all of them. So go ahead and search for Free Range EDC and you'll find us there. Uh, make sure you subscribe. Get all the new episodes. Head Fets. Head Fets Podcast Emporium. <laughs> yes. Pretty sure that's it. In, in Ed Fett's case, it would be Ed Fett's Discount Podcast, like Remaindered Podcast. There we go. Um, the long, it, long tail. Yes. <laughs> Gosh. Um, you can also find all of our episodes on YouTube. Uh, we are there at Free Range Idiocy. You can find full episodes there, so you can subscribe to us via YouTube if you like getting your, your podcast content via the YouTubes. We are also on Facebook and Instagram. Both of those are at Free Range Idiocy. Uh, we love us some social media because we love us some us. Uh, you can also send questions, thoughts, concerns to Tim at FreeRangeIdiocy.com, and he will get back to you forthwith, if not sooner, if you have suggestions for shows you have questions about something we said uh if you have complaints eh, go ahead we'll we'll file them appropriately uh and now ladies and gentlemen it is time for me to stop yapping and uh because i don't want to get goozled um so i'm gonna hand this over to the the second uh the the lesser idiotic of the two idiots who, who run this show but not before i ask the man they call tim the second most important question ever 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 uttered by human lips first of course being what is hip the second being what the hell did we learn tonight uh we have learned the following my friend yeah indeed uh we have learned let me talk to you there we go we have learned that uh if nothing else we here at free range edc are uh truly timely in the fact that we have our yearly year in movies uh, having recorded this exactly 12 months after our last one. Yeah! Uh, we have also uh, discussed, feel, and uh, believe that Ahsoka is off to a strong start, and we are still bullish on this great series. Yeah! Uh, rest in peace, Bray Wyatt. Uh, one of the most creative minds to come through WWE in a very, very long time. He will be missed. Uh, in 2004, uh, we have learned, was rich in uh, quality movies. A lot to choose from. Very difficult to, uh, you know, kind of narrow that list down, as you could tell from, well, Uncle Todd's somewhat dirty list that he decided to run through at the tail end. Just a, <laughs> that's it. That's right. Uh, we've also learned, uh, from the man they call Tim's perspective, Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow is just a stinky flick, and uh, that's all there is to it. You're wrong. And uh, as we start to close out here, uh, the Saw franchise uh, needs to stop at 10 movies. 10 movies is more than enough for any one particular topic, and that just seems like overkill. Fast and the Furious, you're also on the radar. And finally, uh, as always, Let Uncle me talk Todd. to you! And finally, Uncle Todd has outdone himself once again with his yeah. dirty picks of 2004. Yeah. Good Lord Almighty. Yeah. I need a shower. Yeah. <laughs> well, as we like to wrap things up here at the range, thank you again. <laughs> That's it. Thank you again for your listenership and uh, for the downloads. And uh, 
It is that time where you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. The range is shut down. Good night. Goodbye. Until next time. Be safe. Be healthy. Be kind. Be good to one another. And until next time, just go through Uncle Todd's list of dirty movies and just be in awe at the creativity and ability to find that long tail content from 2004. It's like I picked the wrong week to quit drinking. This floozy was the same one as the last one, but I do remember all that trouble, that poor child being abducted and taken off by that handsome devil bandit. I beg your pardon, what did you say? I need money. Damn! You are such a disappointing pair. I prayed so hard for you. Oh, here's a pleasant sight. Cirrhosis the Wonder Dog. I'm, I'm not drunk, all right? I just have a speech impediment. <laughs> and a stomach virus. And an inner ear infection. Get out. And don't come back until you've redeemed yourselves. Okay, first of all... <laughs> And now here comes the rebuttal. <laughs> They're not dirty movies. They're just after you consider the previous two awards. Anything sounds dirty at that point. Okay. Even Three Iron. I, I was looking through those and I'm like, oh, that could totally be a dirty movie. And second of all, how much more are you going to expand, expand your like goodbye segment? I'm tired. Is it going to start equaling the Week in Geek? And furthermore, as Winston Churchill once said, I believe in his address to Parliament. I have, I have an addendum to the addendum. <laughs> Good Lord, just say goodnight. We're done. No. See ya. I have to. I have to say my piece to the people. And furthermore, as the, I would once said, ah, and furthermore, and more so, and then flippity flop, flippity flee, you suspect, you suspect. <laughs> now get the hell out of here.